On today's special trading ratings episode, Dan and I will be ranking movies with notable soundtracks. everyone welcome to brandon at random reviews i am your host brandon griffiths thank you for stopping by i do appreciate it and of course i've got my brother-in-law dan on the line as well and uh we're gonna just kind of go into what what we're talking about with these movies and their soundtracks and all that stuff yeah so uh so when we're talking about soundtracks, we're talking about the music that goes along with the movie, sometimes released as a separate album or can just be part of the movie. Maybe it's a score. Maybe it's commercial songs that have been selected specifically selected for the movie. Uh, sometimes it's songs that are written for the movie. A lot of different possibilities here. So looking forward to diving into talking about some of these movies uh, and their associated soundtracks. I feel like this, would, could, this one could be a long episode. Uh, I have so much to say about so many things. <laughs> Since we're also talking about music in this one, in addition to the movies, I'm pretty excited about it. How about you? I'm excited. I'm very um, nervous now that you've given your explanation. I'm So I was worried about this going in, that the, the definition of soundtrack to me, the way the way I interpret that in a modern sense is a soundtrack is something different from a score. Like it's it's like a separate thing to me entirely. It's like a movie can have a score and a soundtrack and those two are not usually the same thing. It's like there are on a soundtrack, you've got all of these individual songs often made by different artists and things like that. Obviously, there are exceptions to that. But then there are scores where it's like a big composition that spans the entire length of the movie and typically doesn't have vocals or anything like that. It just has instrumentation, orchestration, things like that. But I mean, so are you, are you lumping in scores into this? So I, so I specifically didn't want to talk about that ahead of time because I thought it'd be a fun, fun to see how you stuck or how you settled on your list and whether or not you included that kind of stuff. Cause I, I ping ponged in my head back and forth between like, am I talking about just like a, a good soundtrack that I would listen to in my car without even having the movie running. Right. Or right. am I talking about scores like Danny Elfman or Howard Shore, or Alan Silvestri, and some of these pretty famous people who have done, you know, who are really well known for, for scoring, for scoring movies, like in and of themselves, right. The scores in some cases elevate the movie. In some cases it's just, you know, they're, they're known for their scores. And in, in a few even, I, I do know of people who listen to just the score, like Howard Shore's score of The Lord of the Rings. I have friends who listen to that. Or Danny Elfman's Batman score, right. as opposed to the Prince <laughs> music album that goes along with... There's like two different... I mean, to your point, there's like two different versions of the Batman soundtrack, right? You've got mm -hmm. the Danny Elfman score, and you've got the Prince pop music right. version. And then you've got even other movies where the soundtrack in its entirety might not be particularly noteworthy, but there was like one song that they 
wrote for it for the credit sequence that sold a billion records or or, or whatever. Like you know, right. Celine Dion comes to mind from uh, from Titanic, right? Right. They they featured "My Heart Will Go On" on that soundtrack, and I I couldn't tell you if the rest of the soundtrack is like just a score or or what i just know that right. one song and it sold a billion copies right and i just i mean i know like that one specifically i think of and i'm like god i i haven't seen titanic in a very long time but i remember being so sick of my heart will go on by the <laughs> end of that fucking movie because it's just like every scene is like punctuated with a Celine Dion and I'm like it's not a bad song it's like it's a decent song but it's like holy shit you've got a three hour movie like come on right so yeah I mean and and yeah and and like and so that was another thing that that I kind of my list ends up being a little bit all over the board um I I ultimately spoiler alert I don't have any scores on my list that I did mainly because I just don't have a whole lot to say about them other than like no. Danny Elfman's awesome right but right right I mean thank um, fucking god cuz I was going to say the same like if I if I was to include scores in my list I would have an entirely different li- different list yeah. altogether like it would just <laughs> yes. not even be the same at all and yes. I mean like it because w- I mean honestly like so many like not always but so many times if a song or if a movie has a really good soundtrack it's like it doesn't usually go go too hard on the score you know what I mean it's like it's it's usually one or the other there are obviously exceptions but it's like for the most part a movie has a good soundtrack or it has a good score. And that's kind of where I'm I like. So that's, that's why I, I did. I did what I refer to as soundtracks, which is like pop songs basically right. yep. featured in a movie. So, I mean, like I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Cause I was definitely like, cause I'm thinking <laughs> like, Oh my God, there are so many movies. If I was doing scores, I would have picked for this movie or for this episode that it's like, Holy shit. So well, I mean, yeah. And as I as I was scouring, you know, the internet and stuff, trying to get trying to brainstorm like what movies I might want to include, I I went from like, hey, I think this is going to be a good idea to like super excited about all these different movies that we could talk about to like overwhelmed, <laughs> and like right. I don't know what I want to include here, and and I ultimately I did have a really hard time whittling this down to six movies to talk about. I, I'm curious to see if one of ours is an overlap. I think there's one very potential overlap that we're going to have. Yeah, I think I know what one you're thinking of, but um, yeah. And but ultimately, I settled on as I kind of mentioned earlier, like a soundtrack that I would listen to in the car, just the music, pop in the CD back in the days of CD players, and like just listen to that that music, right? That compilation of songs, mm-hmm. um, along with, or I should say, and or a movie where it was specifically elevated by its soundtrack, like. I don't know that I would necessarily listen to the what, and and I'm particularly talking about one one of the of the movies on my uh, on my list, and and we'll talk about that when we get to it. But like, the music itself isn't necessarily a, a compilation that I would necessarily buy and listen to. But watching the movie with the music, the way they mm-hmm. use the, the the music in the movie, like it, the movie wouldn't be the same without it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yep. like it, it hinges on its soundtrack used in a very specific way that makes it amazing. Uh, yeah. There, there are certain songs so. that I, I seriously only really enjoy when I'm watching the movie that they accompany. Like there, there are some songs that I'm like, like, I, I mean, I mean, Chris Cornell recorded the theme to Casino Royale, the James Bond movie. And it's like, 
I really enjoy the song as I'm watching the movie and they do the opening credits and stuff, but I tried to put it on like a playlist to just listen to and it just, I couldn't vibe to it. Like I couldn't even get into it. It was just like, I like you, Chris Cornell. I think you're a talented or you were a talented musician, but it's like, I, the song is just of its, of its movie, you know? Right. But all that being said, I'm going to have a very long list of also mentions at the end of this because there are a bunch of movies that that I came across that I don't know where else we'll ever talk about them. But uh, oh yeah, right. <laughs> I was going to note, um, and some of them might show up on uh, on later later lists. But but yeah, so with that, why don't you start us off? What's your first one? What's your worst one? My first movie, and I I kind of made it a point to pick some movies that I'm not a big. I didn't I didn't want them have them all be really great movies in my mind that were just, you know, terrific and just, I can't get enough of them. But the first one I chose was Suicide Squad from 2016, starring Will Smith and Margot Robbie, among many others. And I gave this a firm D rating because honestly, this movie is very problematic. It's so brief synopsis. A group of supervillains is assembled to defeat a new threat to humanity and this is how I'll put this. So this is a bad movie. It seemingly has a really great soundtrack at face value, but it's also a bad soundtrack in that it I don't it's I don't feel as though most of these songs really suit their scenes very well, despite being mostly enjoyable songs on a pure music level. I just I hear these songs. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I really like this. This basically like I would say this movie feels like a playlist I would make where it's like, I grab a little bit of everything for my playlist. I would go from like Johnny Cash to Taylor Swift to Eminem to, you know, all of these random artists from different time periods and genres. And it's like, I would just throw them on a playlist and listen to them because I really enjoy it. But I don't think that really works for most movies. And I feel like that's kind of what's going on here. So There are moments where these songs play, especially in the beginning as they introduce characters and it either feels like the songs either don't fit at all or like they're almost obvious choices or overdone choices. Like the House of the Rising Sun plays when we meet Will Smith's character. And honestly, the scene that he's in where where it's playing, it's like I didn't need any music whatsoever. It would have suited it better. It would have seemed more appropriate to not have music and they just play the house of the rising sun. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I guess the subject matter of the song, the house of the rising sun, it like kind of makes sense, but it's like, to me, it just feels out of place. So, so real quick, uh, are you talking suicide squad or the suicide squad? Just to be suicide squad from 2016. Okay. Okay. Yes. So yes, I'm sorry. I have to make that (laughs) distinction because filmmakers don't know how to fucking title movies. So it's like, they're afraid to have the number two in a sequel. So anyway, so yeah, I mean, this is, this is the first one. And so it's basically like DC never really had their shit together. So they just kind of were like, Oh, this would be a fun movie to make. Let's do this. And then there's a scene where the suicide squad, they've been assembled everybody's getting ready in this prison courtyard or whatever the fuck it is. And it's like, they're playing without me by Eminem. And it's like, you can't help but feel like it. It almost sounds like in the context of the movie, like someone just randomly turned on a radio station 
and played whatever was was on at the time for the scene. It doesn't it doesn't do anything to the scene. It's just like okay, but um, apparently most of these these pop songs weren't going to be in the director's cut of the movie, and they've never released the director's cut. But apparently it was going to be pure orchestral scoring, and it was going to be like I mean, there's only a teensy bit of the score coming through in this movie at all, and there are just certain little scenes mm-hmm. where they play just instrumentation and it's like it, i don't i wouldn't go so far as to say it would be like it's like a really good score but it's just it would have to be better it would just oh my god yeah so, you know some sometimes i wonder to how much of that stuff uh is the result of studio pressure like did the director and filmmaker want to include all those songs versus a score or no, was the studio like hey we, right. we've got an opportunity for a cast grab here and let's cram in as many you know, hot pop stars as we can uh, and, and recognizable songs and, and whatever, and then sell, you know, a bunch of soundtracks as well or, or you know, use it almost as a gimmick. Yeah, and I mean, that's, I mean, that's the thing is, I mean, I have to assume, you know, they say that the director's cut was going to be no pop songs whatsoever, you know? So it was like mm-hmm. all all scoring and it was like, okay, like I can see where they wanted to like, okay, let's bring in, some of these more popular, well-known songs and have them just kind of set the mood and things like that. And, you know, maybe make it a little more modern or something. I don't know. But I mean, honestly, like most of the songs aren't very modern either. So it doesn't really help that. (laughs) But I mean, aside from just the horribly inappropriate music choices, it's like you've got these I mean, the the basic premise of this movie, this is why there are so many things that this movie does wrong. And it's like the, the score is one or the soundtrack is one of them, but it's like it doesn't the, the premise. I mean, the basic premise of the movie is, OK, this is what what we're dealing with. We're, we've got the concern of, OK, the example they use is what if Superman went nuts and decided he was going to kill the president? what would we do if that happened? And their answer is this suicide squad, this task force X thing that they call it. And it's like, none of the people that are in this group of all the, the all the people I could think of, it's like, none of them have significant enough powers that if Superman decided he was going <laughs> to kill the president, they were, they're actually going to be able to intervene and even slow him right. down from doing that. So it's like, and, and like, I mean, it, this is probably just my nerdiness shining through, but like <laughs> Batman has a plan for every, at least every member of the justice league. If they did this, if they had this happen where Superman wants to kill the president for incident, for instance, and it's like, he has a plan. Like he has his kryptonite. He has, you know, like he has, he has a little thing in the back of his head. Okay. This is what I would do if this shit happened. And so, but they don't, I mean, they don't even acknowledge that. And it's just like, they want to allow their premise premise to not be ridiculous, but it's like, and, and as I recall, when he did need to stop Superman, uh, ultimately he just had to remind him his mother's name, right? Something right. like that. Right. And then, right. and then everything came, came crashing down. <laughs> right. And as I mean, <laughs> and of course it's, it's safe to assume that in that moment, you know, Batman's holding a kryptonite spear to Superman's neck and he's going to kill him. And if Superman's mother's name would have been Judy, Batman would have just <laughs> murdered him right in that moment. It wouldn't have, he wouldn't even have slowed down a little bit. It would have just been like, oh yeah, well, you know, this is, this is normal. This is, it can only be a, 
our mother's name is the same. But yeah, I mean, it's there's so much stuff going on in this movie. Like, I mean, the way they introduce these characters in this movie, and they've all got their little theme songs or whatever. And I mean, it's just they got these graphics on the screen. They're trying to be badass, but it just falls yeah. flat for me. I mean, I don't. I think it I, fl- fell flat for most. Yeah, it probably. And I mean, it, it's. I, I haven't watched it in, in a long time, but I recall that it felt very, very, very gimmicky, like very hand handed, yeah. a lot well, of a lot of uh, almost posing for the camera. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot. Of you know stuff, what I mean? Yeah. Like, Absolutely. like just I, I don't know. It, it, it was. Uh, yeah. What didn't almost didn't even feel like a real movie. No. Right. But. And I mean, that's the thing is it's like not even not even to the point of like, could you defeat Superman with these characters? But it's like. Harley Quinn, what does this Harley Quinn character bring to the table that no one else could bring? What what is her even skill? Not not metahuman power, but like what is her skill? What is she doing that is gonna defeat anybody? <laughs> you know, I mean they face off against this enchantress, and it's like, what are they what are they able to do that Joe Blow <laughs> off the street couldn't fucking do? Like it, it's just it's insane to me. And I mean, yeah. I also, I didn't, I mean, I didn't like the Suicide Squad either, but there's, the, the only other thing I do, I have to mention with this movie, because <laughs> it's so insane to me, is, okay, so there is, there's the character Killer Croc, and he is a Batman villain, right? And you might not remember this if it's been a while since you've seen it, maybe you do though, because it kind of sticks out. Basically, Killer Croc in this movie is just like a caricature, like a, the most stereotypical black person. Like, like, it's just like, it's so offensive to me. Like they're, they're like making their deals at the end when they spoiler alert, win the battle with the enchantress (laughs) and Will Smith wants to see his daughter and Harley Quinn wants an espresso machine and killer croc. No joke wants B E T. That is what he asks for is B and it's like it but it's like but the choice the sound to the soundtrack point it's like what did they play when what would you think if they're gonna make this horrible offensive version of this character what do they pick for the song to introduce him with fortunate son by ccr <laughs> and it's like what get the fuck out of here like no this does not no so it's like yeah i, I just watching this movie I, I like it's oh man i i am just in a fit of rage the entire time I watch it. Like, I just, I can't well, fucking well, tell stand us, it. Tell us how you really feel. Yes, yes, of course. I mean, I just, I, I don't, I think the premise by itself is is bad enough. And it's like, if they would have executed a little better, it might not have, you know, I might have been able to forgive some of the shortcomings of the yeah. plot and stuff, but they just did such a bad job that it's like, get the fuck out of here. Like, I don't ever need to see this. Like, it's just so fucking so- bad. So what's your grade? It's a D. It's really? A I thought D. for sure you were going to say E after that no, rant. No, so, and so here's here's this is this is my logic and this might be idiotic, but okay, so <laughs> my logic is I never give a movie an E grade if I if I can stand to sit through watching it a, a mm. second time or more. Like I will I don't like Suicide Squad, but I will watch the movie again. You know, I, that's and that's what's dumb about it. You'll hate it. watch it? <laughs> I will hate watch it because it's, I mean, like, I, 
you know, I mean, honestly, there's a couple different movies on this that I've done episodes for that I haven't released yet. And Suicide Squad is one of them. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, I sat through it and it was like, oh my fucking God, there's so much to talk about with this movie. And it's all bad. It's, I mean, I had very little in the way of positive things to talk about with this movie. But yeah, that's that's what I got for Suicide Squad. I, I'll stop rambling for a minute and, and let, let you have your turn at, at, on your well, first movie. Okay, so it, it's interesting what you say about how to define an E, right? And, and being something that you don't want to sit through again. Because one thing, and this is only the third episode of these that we've done. But right. One thing that I've already found difficult. Even though we made it a point, like we want to talk about bad movies too, because it's fun to talk about bad movies. Mm. But I find it difficult when I'm putting a list together to settle on an E movie because all of the potential E movies, I'm like, I don't want to sit through it and watch it again. Right. And take notes. And like, but then again, I don't want to have necessarily something that like, oh, I saw it 20 years ago. As I recall, it wasn't very good, but you know, I don't really have anything to say about it other than it wasn't very good. And then that's not interesting either. Right. So right. like, I've got this, this whole list of potential movies to watch. And I have like a little subsection of bad movies. And I even like started to look for dangerous minds. <laughs> And then I was like, man, I don't want to sit through that movie. <laughs> like, no, I just don't want to do it. Like, I just I don't even remember being, anything I, in that movie. Honestly, I recall it like other than Coolio Gangsta's Paradise, you know, being like the right. huge, huge song out of it. Like, I remember it being in seventh grade and everybody thought it was super cool. That movie, even though yeah. it was obviously bad. And the older I got, the more I looked back on it as like, I remember Michelle Pfeiffer karate chops a Mexican kid at one point, <laughs> and suddenly everybody thinks she's super cool. And like, oh my god! I'm like, I just remember that movie being beyond terrible. But then yeah. I was like, I, I don't want to pay four bucks and rent and sit and like lose no. two hours of my life on this. I so can't anyway, blame you for that. Yeah. So ultimately. I did, though, I found a movie where I was like, you know, I've never actually seen this movie, though I'm familiar with the soundtrack, and I imagine it's going to be an E. And by the way, this was before I listened to uh, your episode uh, about Ocean's Eleven and, and uh, Ninja Turtles, where you actually mentioned this movie and about how you assume it's terrible, but you don't want to watch it. Oh, this God. is Coneheads. Oh, 1993's Coneheads, Jesus. starring Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin, with cameos from like the entire early 90s Saturday Night Live cast. It seems like, mm. plus a whole bunch of other people. Like all these people just keep popping up. Uh, I mean, I was like writing in the margins as people kept popping onto the screen in little itty bitty roles from old SNL people like Garrett Morris to as of 1993, like current ones like Tim Meadows, Julia Sweeney, Adam Sandler, Kevin Nealon, Phil Hartman, John Lovitz, David Spade, Chris Farley. Um, and then you have other people like uh, Michael Richards, a.k.a. Kramer, Tom Arnold, mm -hmm. Eddie Griffin, Sinbad. Michael McKean, Jesus, Jason all Alexander. these people are in this movie. <laughs> yes. Holy shit. And the daughter is played by Michelle Burke and her friends are Joey Lauren Adams and Parker Posey. And they had all that wow. same year. All three of them had been in uh, Days and Confused. Right. Yep. Uh, so like there's just there's it, it's it seems like it was one of those movies where, you know, 20 years later, Dan Aykroyd said, hey, let's revive Conehead, the Coneheads characters from the 70s and Saturday Night Live. And everybody on Earth was like, oh, we want to be a part of that right. to the extent that it's almost distracting. Right. With all these people who keep popping in. 
Um, yeah. But uh, so anyway, so I, I turned that on. It was available on HBO Max, so I didn't have to watch it. Or I mean, I didn't have to pay for it. You know, I was already subscribed and I kind of had it on in the background, fully anticipating that it was going to be awful. And it was, I mean, it was, it was pretty bad. The, the, the shtick was just like, you know, these cheap gags, like he burns his, his mouth on pizza. And so he grabs a bottle of Windex to squirt it in his mouth to cool it off. And they like Mm -hmm. zoom in on the fact that it's Windex and it's just like super shitty, cheap gags like that over and over and over again. Right. Like, you know, within, within the first 90 seconds of the movie, you're like, okay, I get it. I'm over it. Yeah. (laughs) But then, but then a couple of strange things happen and maybe it's just because my expectations were so low, but two people actually elevate this movie from an E to a D as much as I was expecting to give it an E. I ultimately gave it a D because Chris Farley steals the scene every time he shows up, like every facial expression, every line that he has is like full on Chris Farley in like his over the top yet subtle Chris Farley, like when he the way he moves his head and like bobs his head and stuff and it's mm. in his facial expressions, like it's hard to explain without seeing it, but I can't help but giggle watching right. Chris Farley do his thing. And then. Yeah. Similarly, David Spade plays like something between his Hollywood Minute persona and his annoying receptionist character on Saturday Night Live, if you remember that at all, where like he's he's constantly sucking up to the boss and he's kind of like constantly trying to keep other people away from the boss. So so he works for uh, the INS, the what's INS stand for? The Immigration and Naturalization Service. Yes. Yes. There you go. Uh, So they're like. They're like uh, border border patrol, but not like police. They're border patrol, like you know, a government agency, right? And he he plays this like suck up deputy slash receptionist kind of role thing, and it's him doing his David Spade thing in a really good way, and he's kind of funny. And then a third thing happened that <laughs> I had to rewind it and watch it again. It was so funny. The first time you see Michael McKean, he's explaining a new border defense system to, I don't know, some other government people or whatever. And they open the scene and he's saying, might I remind you, these figures aren't to scale. And it's like he's got these G.I. Joes on a map of Texas or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and he proceeds to talk about this system where they're going to deport uh, illegal immigrants back to Mexico with a shock collar. And then they're going to mm-hmm. bury an electric fence under the border. And so if they try and cross over again, they light on fire. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Basically. And as oh I'm God. watching it, I'm like, this might have been really ridiculously stupid 10 years ago. But in the time between this, when this movie was made and now, we happen to have actually had a situation where I could see this guy explaining this to a former, a specific former president of the U.S. and that president going, huh, that's a good idea. We should try that. <laughs> like, and having yeah. to be reminded that these these G.I. Joes are not to scale. They're not actually seven, you know, 700 miles tall. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, so like that was a, a really weird scene. But why is this movie on here? Because the soundtrack is absolutely uh, excellent. A lot of like early 90s music, not just early 90s, but like 80s music. The early 90s one or mid 90s, I should say, uh, the real standout on this uh, on this soundtrack is a Red Hot Chili Peppers song called Soul to Squeeze. Now, I'm not the biggest Chili Peppers fan in the world, 
uh, but I really like their early 90s stuff, like up to and including uh, the album One Hot Minute. After that, yeah. in my that was the one with, that had Dave Navarro playing guitar on it. After that, okay. my personal opinion, and I'm, I know I'm, uh, I'm not the only person that feels this way, but I'm probably in the minority. To me, everything after that album that they ever made sounds exactly the same. And in fact, they kind of sound like shittier versions of Soul to Squeeze, which was an excellent song. But to me, like everything on Californication and later just kind of sounded like regurgitating the same song every time. Am I correct in that I've gathered in the past that basically this is like directly correlated with their drug use and then basically they fall off the wagon when it when they stop using drugs or is that not a thing i'm maybe i'm just making that up i don't know uh, i don't know enough about their history to know that um, okay honestly i know that various band members have had huge drug problems um in fact the original the original guitarist i think i think died of an overdose but yeah so soul to squeeze uh, it's honestly my favorite red hot chili pepper song it's not actually found on any of the, their albums. I think it was a B-side on something originally, uh, one of their hits, uh, but it ended up being on this soundtrack. And you can and you hear it a couple of times during the movie, but they ended up releasing it as its own single after the movie. Great song. It's also got, it's got Tainted Love is on it. Magic Carpet Ride is on it, uh, though it's not Steppenwolf's version. It's uh, somebody else doing it. Um, is Tainted Love the soft cell version? or is Yes, it? yeah, it's okay. soft cell. Um, and like all the teenagers are singing that in the car at one point. So it's an excellent uh, uh, REM's on it. Paul Simon's on it. Bare Naked Ladies are on it. Diggable Planets are on it. Excellent soundtrack. Shitty movie, but <laughs> stunningly not as ridiculously shitty as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I could see I that. Mean, I, I, mean... Wouldn't, I wouldn't defend it, but my grade is a D overall for okay. it. Okay. I, I don't I mean, recommend watching it. If you weren't planning I, on watching it, don't watch it. No, no. I, I mean, like that. See, that's the thing is, like, I don't know if I got into it with when I was talking about it on the uh, Ocean's Eleven Ninja Turtles episode, but like Dan Aykroyd, like, I don't dislike Dan Aykroyd. I think he's a funny guy, and he has a lot. He does a lot of funny things. But like, <laughs> there's like just basically any movie that he is like the sole writer of. I am horrified by. Like, he was in a movie with. Chevy he wrote Chase, Ghostbusters, didn't he? But not by himself. Ah, uh, okay. So there's nobody to like water down his insanity. But he did write this movie called Nothing But Trouble with Chevy Chase and Demi Moore. And honestly, I can never condone anybody watching that movie. It is the wor- one of the worst movies I've ever seen by a fucking mile, <laughs> honestly. Like, it's so fucking bad. It's just got really a bunch of gross shit in it. And it's there's nothing that's terribly funny about it. And it's just my God. I mean, just yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know I, what it know, is about him. I, I don't I don't know either, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Though There's something like inherently kind of unlikable about him for some reason. Yeah. Even though he's been in stuff that I really like. He himself isn't uh, isn't enough to bring me to something. I mean, what what's I mean, for instance, Ghostbusters, what's the weirdest part in the movie Ghostbusters? where he's getting blown by a ghost. He gets fucking, he's laying in bed (laughs) and a ghost unzips his pants and gives him a BJ. And it's like, why is this in this movie? Like what, what? Oh my God. Yeah. I don't know. So that's that's where I'm at with Dan Aykroyd, honestly. Okay. Well, I don't have much else to say about Coneheads. There's only so much you can say about a movie like Coneheads. Right. Okay. So so back, so back over to you, I suppose. Oh, and by the way, one other little note, 
I could not find anything on the entire internet to verify this, nor could I find anything in the credits or anything, but I swear OJ Simpson pops in in the very last scene or one of the last scenes for like a split second. Maybe it's just a guy who kind of looked like OJ Simpson, but I swear it was OJ Simpson. I I cannot find anything verifying that. It wouldn't be like... Unreasonable to assume he might be in it because I mean he was in like the Naked Gun movies. Right, and this would have been right around that time. Yeah, so it's like yeah, that would make sense. So yeah, I mean that's that's pretty interesting. Okay, so (laughs) so my next movie is Team America: World Police from 2004, starring Trey Parker and Matt Stone and a bunch of others. You know, obviously those guys did South Park and a bunch of others, the Book of Mormon plays and stuff like that. So the the rating I gave this one is a C, and the only reason for that is just like, I'll get into it, but basically the brief synopsis is a specialized <laughs> counterterrorism force recruits a Broadway star to help them infiltrate a group of Middle Eastern rebels. So, so, so <laughs> when you said Team America, my first thought was like, I don't remember that soundtrack and then i looked it up and immediately started laughing to myself about all these movies or all these these songs that i completely forgotten about oh god like I, it was funny because it was like i was really like racking my brain because i'm like what i'm like i got a lot I'm, I'm a little top heavy on the movies i like so i'm like i want to kind of right. bring it down a little bit because it's like so i mean honestly i do love this movie it's definitely one that I have to be in the mood for to fully enjoy because it's legitimately <laughs> dumb as shit. Like, honestly, it, it's dumb in a good way. But yes, it's, it's dumb in a great way. <laughs> I mean, all the characters so in this movie, the all the characters are puppets for fuck's sake. I mean, like it, marionette puppets, marionette puppets. Yes, they're not like, yeah, not. Oh, my God. So not like Sesame Street puppets. They're marionette. Right, puppets. right. And it's like it's also horribly offensive in a lot of ways. And I mean, deliberately so. Like, it's not like Trey Parker and Matt Stone didn't know what they were doing when they made this movie. But it's like, to go back to it and watch it, it's like, some of this stuff you're like, God, like, yeah, that's that's a, a bit much. Just, just look at the names of the songs, right? Everyone has AIDS. America, fuck yeah. Dirk a Dirk, the terrorist theme. I'm so ronery with an R, which, yes. which is Kim Jong Il singing about how ronery he is. Right. Which itself is like, like oh, the could most... you even get away with that now? Right, right. I don't even think so. I mean, and the flick is just, it's pure satire. It's just top to bottom satire and it mocks action movies really well. It uses that mockery to take shots at America's views on terrorism and no one is off limits and it's pretty fucking well done, but it's completely ridiculous. And I guess one thing I will say about it is like, I've, I've seen it pointed out about this movie before and in a lot of like South Park episodes and stuff where they're making fun of stuff, but it's basically like they're not taking a stand and saying this is, they're, they're never saying what what is right they're just pointing the finger at everybody you know they're they're saying oh michael moore yeah. is terrible for this or you know like they're just making fun of everyone right, on the right. on the horizon <laughs> yeah nothing nothing is nothing is safe and basically yeah you just you don't get a vibe from them that they like have have a ideal <laughs> setup in mind not even matt damon was uh Oh, was God. off the table for being made fun of <laughs> for like no reason at all. <laughs> well, and do you know do you know what the story is behind that Matt Damon puppet? No, I don't. <laughs> so they they had all these celebrities in mind that they were going to make puppets of, and when they made the Matt Damon puppet, they looked at it and they said, 
that puppet looks stupid. Like just really stupid. Like to like to the point that they were going to have Matt Damon's <laughs> character be this super intelligent celebrity and like he was going to be like a voice of reason for them and they were like we can't do it look at this fucking puppet all he's gonna say is Matt Damon and that's it like that's I mean it's so fucking funny though like I I mean it's just these choices that get made that it's like holy shit (laughs) but there so there's a song that plays while the protagonist Gary is trying to decide if he should join Team America and help them out. And it's called Freedom Isn't Free. And it's this country music parody. It's, you know, all of those super patriotic like to- country Toby songs. Keith, yeah, right, parody. right. Absolutely. And so it's like, it's it's hilarious. You know, I mean, it's it, it's a very funny song. You know, I mean, just, and they, they hit the beats of country songs so well with it. You know, it's got the right instrumentation. It's got the right vocal sound to it. It just, it sounds perfect to me. And I mean, the, the running gag of this entire movie is that Team America is just constantly intervening to prevent terrorist attacks and then essentially causing more destruction than the terrorists would have if Team America hadn't shown up at all. And it's like, honestly, despite the puppets being like deliberately dumb, they seemingly went all out on making the sets look really fucking good. And I mean, like they they definitely spent some money on this movie, but it was, I mean... I mean, I just, I, I can't help but focus on the songs, even though the movie, I don't think the movie is nothing without the songs. It's like you get a song like, and I, I won't do this in any other movie <laughs> I talk about today, but there is a song where they have a sex scene between yes. these two puppets, It's a gratuitous right? marionette sex scene. <laughs> right. They're like <laughs> shitting on each other. Right. <laughs> yes. And I mean, and so this song is called Only a Woman. And one of the lyrics or, you know, like the second verse of the song is I like rain. I like ham. I like you. You're around. You're right here. So you'll do. I want to tell you how much I love your mind, but it simply isn't true. And that's the fucking verse of this. Like, I mean, it's just it's fucking great. But it sounds like a song that would play during a sex scene in an action movie. Like, I mean, that's just it's fucking hysterical. It's so you know, obviously the puppets, it's it's they play up the the difficulty manipulating the puppets and they make that more ridiculous. But my my favorite song of this whole movie has to be this one that's called The End of an Act. Now, do you know what that one is, Dan, by chance? No, you- no I don't remember that one. Okay, so this is the one where it's basically like a love ballad that is written and it it is likening how much this singer misses somebody and it's likening it to how much the movie Pearl Harbor sucked and how terrible it was. And like, I mean, it's just like, I miss you like Ben Affleck needs acting school. He was terrible in that film. I need you like Cuba Gooding needed a bigger part. Like, it's just all these stupid (laughs) things. And it's like, holy shit. Like, how the fuck did you come up with this as like an idea to put in a song? But I mean, you know, it's like, so there are so many funny songs. And like, as soon as I saw it, cause I was like looking through my movies, trying to think of a good soundtrack to like, kind of just like get that last one on my list. And it was like, holy shit, I've got to do team America. Like, there's no way I can get out of this. Cause it's like, it's so fucking hysterical. I, I mean, like Trey Parker could literally be a songwriter. If he tried to like write real songs, like he could probably be a, ta- well, a, a I mean, solid they- musician. I mean, they had their own band, yes, but I mean, well, well and they they wrote uh, 
uh, the Book of Mormon, right? It's like a, it's oh, a right, right. Tony Award winning musical. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's the thing is it's like, so, I mean, they're, they're very well-written songs. And I mean, the, the movie, I mean, it's taking shots at celebrities that are getting too involved in politics and trying to be the voice of reason yeah. for everybody in the world. And I mean, just the whole, the whole movie is, it's great. It's just, there's so much, there's so much that I don't think would fly today, as you mentioned, that it's like, yeah, I mean, like, I, that's the only thing that really kept this movie at a lower rating. And it's especially, especially that it's in relation, like, relative to the other movies on this list that I'm like, mm. okay, I like these other movies significantly more than Team America. And Team America is definitely a in the mood kind of movie. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> but a definitely great soundtrack. One of the high points of the movie, honestly. Fucking love it. So, was that a C or what? That was a C, yes. Okay, that was my guess. All right, so my next one is another not very good movie. <laughs> uh, not not certainly not as good as Team America. I'm still at a D, and this is okay. actually the first movie that I wanted to include on here anyway. So I started at a D. Uh, it's the movie She's the One. Uh, it's written and directed by Edward Burns, and also starring Edward Burns. It's got uh, Fraser's dad, John Maloney, Marty Crane. Um, it's got Cameron Diaz and Jennifer Aniston, Michael McGlone, Maxine Bonds. Uh, it's a low budget, supposed to be like, a, I think it's supposed to be a rom-com, though the, the com was was pretty non-existent, um, yeah. at least as far as like any real laughs. So I don't know, maybe it's just a drama. Maybe I just saw Jennifer Aniston and Cameron Diaz on the cover and assumed it was a rom-com. Right. <laughs> but I so this the it's on here, though, because the soundtrack, the entire it's it's basically a Tom Petty album, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Right. It's it was the follow up more or less to Wildflowers, which, in my opinion, is the greatest album he ever recorded and one of my personal favorite albums of all time. And a couple of years after that album came out, it was it came out during a relative some downtime for Tom Petty. Like he had just had this explosive creative uh, run with Rick Rubin that turned into Wildflowers. And it was it was originally going to be like a double or triple LP and the, the record company talked him into just keeping it a single LP for, to sell more copies, which I think was ultimately the right move. But you ended up with like all these other songs that were super good songs that mm. he, you know, as somebody as prolific as someone like Tom Petty over their career is going to have all these songs. Right. But basically he took a bunch of those songs and reworked them and provided the soundtrack for this movie. Somehow he had met Edward Burns or something and kind of got roped into doing the soundtrack. And then he got, I guess, from what I was reading about it, he was uh, like the studio wanted him to bring in like other artists to help out. And he immediately was like, I don't want to do that. And then he tried to back out of the whole thing. And then Jimmy Iovine, a super producer, produced everything from early Tom Petty records to NWA and everything in between. He talked him into like just sticking through it and, you know, oh, do it anyway. You know, you already got the material. I heard the record. It's pretty good. And and the, the record in and of itself is actually really good, in my opinion. It was a total commercial flop, but it's personal opinion it's his most underrated album he ever released there's some excellent mm -hmm. songs on it but then it ended up the cd came out like six months before the movie did because the movie got delayed so like there wasn't any real marketing behind it it got put in like the soundtrack bin instead of the tom petty bin and a lot of record stores and like ultimately he followed up like this you know multiple three or four time platinum album with an album that like sold a couple hundred thousand copies or something. And so right. 
all that to say that it's a it's a an excellent album in and of itself, but just criminally overlooked. It even has my favorite Tom Petty song of all time on it, Angel Dream, which is not nothing being a huge Tom Petty Tom Petty fan that I am, but I had never actually watched the movie. And so I finally sat down and watched the movie for this uh this effort here and I got to tell you it wasn't good. No. <laughs> it was uh in fact really bad. I, I won't quite give it an E. I, I I think I'm being generous giving it a D though. My notes on it are like the Everybody in the entire movie is unlikable. Like, I don't understand how any of the characters can stand to be around each other. Like, oh. it's it's basically it's about these two brothers. And one of them is like a super successful Wall Street banker or whatever. And the other one is uh, he works in a toll booth or something. He's, uh, uh, you know, he's he's very blue collar, doesn't make or no, he's, he's a cab driver. That's what he is. Sorry. He's a cab driver. And they're very different. Uh, he's the cab driver is actually the one, the main character played by Edward Burns. He's like super impulsive right at the beginning of the movie. He gives this girl a ride to the airport because she's got to go to a wedding in New Orleans. And then he ends up driving her there and marrying her on the spot, which you don't actually see any of that. Just she says, hey, why don't you come with me? And then like cut to the next scene. They are telling Marty Crane that they got married and it's just very bizarre and like it kind of falls into that trap too of like, you don't really understand how any of these people would have ever liked each other to begin with, let alone well enough to like still be together and still be hanging out with each other. Other than I guess the two brothers are like, you know, they have to be because they're, they're family. But even then you're like, why, why do these guys even bother hanging out with each other? They clearly don't like being around each other, like fundamentally. But right. meanwhile, the rich brother, he's married to Jennifer Aniston, but like is having like super, like is is becoming estranged with her, I guess, so to speak, because he's having an affair with Cameron Diaz, who is his brother's ex-fiance. So it's like this weird, like these overlapping love triangles kind of thing. And I also have a, a note here. How is Cameron Diaz an A-lister? I mean, I get that she's like, she was hot stuff and whatever, but like she is such a bad actress in everything she's in. I don't get yeah, it. Yeah. She's it's... so just not believable. And her character, she's like a high-end prostitute, apparently, for like Wall Street people. And the brother who's like in love with her and wants to leave Jennifer Aniston with her somehow doesn't realize that she's a prostitute, even though it's blatantly obvious and everybody else knows it. And I don't know, it's just fil filled with these little like poorly edited things where it's like, I'm not buying this. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. buy that they're in love. I don't buy that he doesn't understand she's a prostitute. I don't buy this. I don't buy that. Um, there were a couple of funny lines, like when, uh, Marty Crane, who's like an old school, old man, Catholic Boston guy, he, he's like, he, he gets all upset about, you know, the marriage or whatever. And they're like, you don't even believe in God. And he yells, it doesn't mean I stopped being a good Catholic. <laughs> and that was kind of funny, but I mean, like that was it. There were, there were a couple of funny moments overall. It was terrible. They have a lot of weirdly casual arguments that like, I don't know, it, it there was there were scenes that felt like it, it was trying to almost be clerks. Yeah. But with a bigger budget, both in terms of like the the dialogue, you know, heavy dialogue as well as like really shitty acting. <laughs> you know. But yeah. instead of it being like someone's, you know, just high school buddies, which is what clerks was, it's like A-list celebrities acting super, super poorly, right? Wow. Like, yeah. Maybe not all A-less. In, in fact, I have one note. Jennifer Aniston, despite 
like not do, I mean, her performance wasn't anything special, but she came off as like an Oscar worthy actor compared to everybody else around her. Like she's the only character in the movie that didn't seem weirdly robotic. You know what I mean? Hmm, yeah. And it was one of the, I never, uh, I never really thought much of her like acting in general, other than like, she just always kind of played some version of Rachel until I saw this movie. And I was like, wow, she, she really can act in the way that right. bad actors are all around her. And she actually seems natural here. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I gave it a generous D. I don't have much else to say about it. Included more uh, to be able to talk about the music album than anything else, which I highly, highly recommend checking out if you like Tom Petty. Yeah. And you know, that had to hurt the sales of that album and that mm. it was a soundtrack and that it's oh, like, yeah. it's like you look at it. I mean, like if I looked at it and it's like, especially if it's to a movie that's not good or that hasn't come out yet or you haven't heard about yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't give a shit, but it's like, if you just release a Tom Petty album called she's the one and say, Oh, it also serves as a soundtrack to this movie, but don't worry about that because it's not bad. Like this movie is, you know I mean? <laughs> right, like it's, right. I, so I mean, yeah, that's, and it's weird. Like I, I I know the name Edward Burns, but I had to look him up to see what he looked like. And I don't recognize him from but anything. I, I know I've seen him in stuff, but and apparently he's he's actually written and directed a few movies. Okay. But this. Yeah, this one's not very good. And apparently he's even written and directed a few other movies about these same characters, which I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, it's it was terrible. Why right. would you try and do it again? Yeah, no shit. <laughs> but yeah, but it does have some really good songs on it. It's got, like I said, it's got Angel Dream, uh, which is my favorite Tom Petty song of all time. And also the name of the re-release album that they just came out with a couple years ago is like a record store day release on vinyl. It's like a, kind of a remastered, reimagined version of this album. And they called it Angel Dream. It's got Hope You Never, which is a good, good song. It, the lead single on it was Walls, which you might remember. It's an OK song. It's not the best. Hung Up and Overdue is a great song. And one other, actually, that is one other note that I'll make. Watching the movie, you it, they do actually use the songs throughout the movie. And it was almost distracting for me because I like this album so much. Every time I heard it, I would just start singing along with the record <laughs> rather than like, yeah. watching the scene. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's that one. I give it a D. Not much else to say. Uh, and I mean it this time. So okay. over to you for your next one. <laughs> Okay, so my next one is Dazed and Confused from 1993. Mentioned just earlier. Yes, just mentioned. Yes. So um, this one has Jason London, who you might have seen in the movie Out Cold. He didn't he hasn't been in a ton of shit that I really remember. Uh, His brother was in his twin brother was in Mallrats. And I thought that was him. Yeah. So, So I thought it was the same guy, obviously, but. Nope, not so much. So then there's also just this laundry list of fucking up and coming stars in this movie that like clearly were never heard of before this movie came out. I mean, you've got Matthew McConaughey, Ben Affleck. I mean, just this endless stream. I mean, obviously, they're not all like mega stars or anything, but like they're they're people that you recognize. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're they're big. They're they're notable names for sure. And I mean, it's just so it's like. I, just, I feel like everybody other than the main character went on to become like big movie stars. Well, so th- so that's the one. OK, so like so Jason London plays Randall Pink Floyd. And then the I mean, the other character that I would point to and say is like a main character in this movie is the character Mitch 
And I think yeah. his name is like Wiley Wiggins or something. I, apparently he like went on to be like a game designer or something. I don't know if it's like video games or board well, games. Well, he was the one that what? I was thinking of as far as like, he was like one of the main characters and, and he didn't really go on to do anything else as far. I don't think no, he, he did. Not other movies. He was a terrible actor in that movie. But oh, like, he's really bad. Yeah. Around him, like you said, were like Matthew McConaughey, Ben Affleck, Parker Posey, Mila Jovovich. Uh, Whoa, hold on a minute. Mila Jovovich. <laughs> it's Jovovich. Joey Lauren Adams. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Joey Lauren Adams. <laughs> I mean, Mila Jovovich is foreign. She has a right to pronounce her name differently. Anyway, so... Every scene in this movie is just laced with these really memorable 70s hits. And honestly, I don't normally say this, but this movie's quality would probably be greatly affected if they hadn't really gone all in on a good soundtrack. Like, it wouldn't have been like a terrible movie, but it's like, holy shit, these fucking songs bring this movie to life. And it's just fucking amazing. I mean, they're they're really well-known songs. It's not like they chose deep cuts or something to maybe save money or whatever. And it's like, I mean, there's just, the only thing I'll say is a lot of them, I feel like you could like easily swap the song that they chose out for another 70s song. And it would probably fit the scene just Mm -hmm. as well, if not better. And it's just like, but I mean, like essentially my, my only real gripe with this movie is like, there's barely a plot here. I mean, there's like, I mean, there, there is the, the freshman hazing by the seniors, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, they're going, the guys are going around paddling the, the new freshmen. And then the girls are like, I mean, the, the girls shit is like fucking psychological. It's fucking ridiculous. Like they're put <laughs> like pouring, like making these girls lay in this parking lot and fucking, they're putting food on like, like flour <laughs> or powdered sugar or something. And like, cornflakes and eggs yeah. and shit and it's like what is this and like the one overarching thing other than the hazing is that randall gets this letter from his coaches his football coaches that they want him to sign yeah because it says that like he's not going to do drugs or other illegal activities and that's that's his big gripe throughout this movie but it's like for the most part you're just watching a movie about the lives of a bunch of different groups of high schoolers. You're seeing kind of what mm-hmm. they do, but you're not really, you're not getting a big narrative, you know? And I mean, it's, it's like, it's sort of like just kind of a snippet in time, right? They, right? they drop you in as they're, as they're all transitioning from the school year to like, you know, seniors or freshmen or depending on which group you're following in the moment. And right. they're, they're all on their way to like the end of the year, big party, like that's out in a field or under the water tower or something, you know, right. and, and then and then they kind of they pull you out like after yeah. the party's over and everything, you know, like it's just kind of this day in the life during like a very transitional period for the main characters. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, and yeah, there's there's really not a plot, I guess, but it's I don't know. There's I always uh, I always enjoyed this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I definitely it's, enjoy it's it for movie. sure. Yeah. And I mean, like, oh, I wouldn't say. Be- Great. It's yeah, a, I, mean, I it's, think it's, it's a good a, movie. <laughs> it's a solid movie. Yes. It's, it's, so, I mean, like Ben Affleck plays this great douchebag that's like the senior <laughs> that got held back, and he's like getting to do this hazing again, paddling all these freshman asses for like another year, you know. So it's like, but it's like he plays such a great douchebag, and you know, he it's like you kind of get to see how much everybody hates him, and you know, you get to see his comeuppance and all this stuff, and. And Matthew McConaughey plays this sleazy 
guy that's like still hanging out with high schoolers, but he says a lot of hilarious stuff, you know, one, I of, mean, the most, just, one of the most classic all time roles was that oh, character. Yeah. <laughs> so fucking great. I mean, honestly, like, I mean, he says the line about like what he likes about high school girls, how he keeps getting older and they stay the same age. So it's like, it's just like clearly like he's, he's a sleazebag. Like he's a, yeah. he's, he's not a good guy but he you know it's like he's funny in this movie and it's like he's such a likable sleazebag <laughs> oh yeah exactly and i mean i, I love the I, I mean the the soundtrack it's just like holy shit like i can't believe they fucking had these songs in here you know like i mean just they, they they just keep coming one after another and i mean the only one i would say like for instance that like i talked about how a lot of these could be swapped out for other songs and things like that but i i I don't necessarily feel that they needed to be, but like one, one for instance would be like, they play hurricane by Bob Dylan. And I love the song hurricane by Bob Dylan, but it's like, it doesn't, I feel like they could have swapped it out with any number of 70s songs and it would have suited. Like they go to this emporium where everybody's playing pool and hanging out and stuff. And it's like, they just, they play hurricane. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I guess it would, if it's just, they're playing the radio at this emporium, then it would make sense. But like, to me, it could have been like so many other songs, you know, I mean, it could have been like funk 49 by James gang or, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, anything, I mean, just like, uh, I mean, like bang a gong smoke on the water. I mean, any of these songs that don't get featured in this movie that you think of when you think of like seventies rock songs. And I mean, the, the big, the big one, the, like the masterpiece of this movie, I would say is the scene where the main, or, you know, one of the main characters, Mitch is, He's basically accepting his fate that he's going to get paddled by this group of seniors. And they like the the audio of, the you know, like the, the natural sound cuts out from the scene and we just hear no more Mr. Nice Guy by Alice Cooper. And it's it's fucking great. I mean, it's just a very well concocted scene. And it's like Affleck is like going way too fucking hard paddling him and he's like way too fucking into it. But I mean, it's it's a well delivered scene and the music it is fucking perfect for it honestly yeah so i mean i don't know i mean basically like we said you know it's just a glimpse into the lives of of these kids in 76 and it's like it's it's a solid movie it's not like above and beyond it's not like epic levels of greatness or anything it's just a solid movie it's enjoyable to watch i always find it funny that mila jovovich's character is on the on the poster for a lot. Like, I think there are probably mm-hmm. posters that came out after this movie yeah. got popular, you know, and she got popular because she's on the cover and she has like one notable scene where she's like playing a guitar and singing the <laughs> song and that's it. Like she doesn't, yeah. she doesn't do anything in this movie at all. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I do feel like it's, it's very grounded and it feels very genuine. It's, it's good. And it's, it's fun to just put on every once in a while. And, you know, you obviously listen to the tunes and stuff, but it's, it's really enjoyable. I like this one. So, I mean, that's just what I got. I gave it a, a B rating. A B rating. Yep. I would agree with that. I'd give it a B. Yeah. Okay. Right. So my next one, this is actually the one where I thought we might have uh, an overlap. Oh, Okay. But since you're already at B and you didn't mention this movie, I'm going to guess that this movie isn't on your list. Okay. But my next one, let's make sure I didn't uh, skip one like I did last time. Nope. <laughs> okay. All right. I have this movie as a C, Batman Forever. 
Oh, okay. I'll, I can I'll see pause where you would have here for that. I'll pause for a reaction here. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can see where you would have thought I would have brought up Batman Forever, but uh, I mean. The, first of all, the soundtrack, right? Why is Batman Forever on my list? Because th- this soundtrack was, in my opinion, one of the greatest soundtracks of all time. Oh, as yeah. far as like, I, it's one of the first soundtracks I remember, like when it came out, it was like I ran out and got the CD, right? Because mm-hmm. of the music that was on it. Not to be confused with the score, right? This is another one of those, much like the original one, where there's like the score that has the music that's actually in the movie. And then the soundtrack, which has the movie poster on the CD cover, a song that played during the credits, and then just a bunch of other songs. (laughs) Like, like, it's like a separate media entity that just shared an ad campaign or something. But it had a whole bunch of music from like, big time stars at the time, uh, probably mm-hmm. most notably kiss from a rose by seal. That was a huge single. Uh, oh, yeah. and that was off this movie. That one still to this day seems to, to pop up in pop culture references, but it also had hold me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me by you too, which I think itself was, a, was its own single. It had smash it up by the offspring. It had, the Passenger by Michael Hutchins from uh, uh, In Excess. That's actually an Iggy Pop cover, but his ver- the Michael Hutchins version is actually like kind of haunting and really good. I really like it. I think I like it better than the Iggy Pop version, actually, surprisingly enough. Uh, and then also a song that I feel like has been forgotten by time, but actually might be my favorite song on the album. Method Man does a song called The Riddler, and it's all about the Riddler, and it's fantastic. It's all about wow. the Riddler and his riddles. And if you haven't listened to it lately, dig it up and give it a spin. And you'll be like, man, that is a good tune. Excellent no, wait, beat. did you did you mention in that long list of songs, did you mention Bad Days by Flaming Lips? I did not. Okay. All right. I, I just wanted to. I actually had forgotten about that one. I don't think I've listened <laughs> to that one in years. <laughs> I love that one. Solid. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'll let you continue. I'm sorry. I had to interject well, so, with that. Well, that's. And there's PJ Harvey, Brandy, um, Massive Attack, Mazzy Star, Nick Cave, The Flaming Lips, like you said, Sunny Day Real Estate, et cetera. There's, there's, it's like peppered with, with big names. Excellent soundtrack. Uh, unfortunately, the movie is not as good as the soundtrack. So this is one where in my head, I really liked this movie when I was a kid. I thought it was super fun. I enjoyed it. Several years ago... It came up in conversation with some other friends who do a movie series podcast. In fact, you were featured on one episode, the uh, Gobeski Wallace Report, right? They were doing their Mary, what did they call it? The Mary Marvel Movie March. Yeah. <laughs> Where they were like, like basically that. going through every Marvel movie since the be- since like- Howard the, or, the Duck. You know, yeah. Like yeah. even before Howard the Duck, like going all the way back and every every Marvel property that had ever been turned into a movie, basically. And at mm-hmm. one point we were talking and, it was, and we were talking about potentially doing like a Batman series with just like all the Batman movies. And I, I think, as I recall, this would have been like a long time ago and in the before times even. But they were talking about they were joking about how bad Batman Forever was. And I was trying to defend it. I was like, it wasn't that bad. It was a fun movie. I really liked it. <laughs> and then. I picked it up and I went to watch it all ready to like take notes on it and and like convince them that it wasn't as bad as they thought. And I was like, no, no, they were right. This isn't a very good movie. (laughs) (laughs) And it, it, It was much, much worse than for some reason it was in my head. Now, I will say that I think Val Kilmer doesn't get enough 
doesn't get enough credit as being a decent Batman. I think he was a fine Batman. Definitely. But unfortunately, that wasn't enough to save this movie. (laughs) Right. He was he was a good Batman in a bad Batman movie. Let's be honest. I mean, he he could have been really solid with the the right movie, but he just wasn't. Exactly. And like the bad guys in this movie are like overly cartoonish, which I think kind of works for Jim Carrey's Riddler, but it doesn't work at all for for Tommy Lee Jones's Two Face. He's like he's over the top in a bad way in my opinion. Oh, he's so he's so animated and it's yeah. like why why is like basically every other thing that Tommy Lee Jones does in Batman Forever is fucking laugh at shit and it's like do you know anything about the character Two Face? Like do you know that he's like not not the guy like he wouldn't laugh at something f- to save his life most of the time. Like he's just not <laughs> yeah. that guy. Yeah. Yeah. The writing wasn't very good. The editing wasn't good. It seemed really gimmicky again, you know, Mm. like like just cheap gimmicks. The sound, there was like weird baseball sound effects at one point. Um, I think Mm. it was where the Riddler was like throwing stuff around in the the Batcave. Yeah, Yeah. bomb in the Batcave. There's like, there's a scene where Chris O'Donnell as Robin, who, by the way, was like 25 going on 30. For some some reason, he needed foster parents. (laughs) yes oh my god i mean and it's like like it just it made no sense like why is he coming to live with bruce wayne as like a foster dad like this is silly and and oh by the way do you remember the circus scene where his parents die Mm. bruce wayne and nicole kidman show up in like a tux and a ball gown to the circus yeah Uh where's everybody's all fucking dressed up like you see the mayor and shit you see them they're like all in these really nice dress clothes like holy shit this is a fucking circus like get the fuck out of here it's it's so dumb and then he when he steals the the batmobile and he like goes to to this random place in the city where it's like a bunch of ravers covered in neon paint and whatever like black light paint yeah, yeah. And black light it, it's so goofy it's like is this a thing somewhere and they're like they're all thugs though it's like a gang right and they just put right. like i guess they carry a black light around with them and and then there's, an, there's another note that i had he like saves this chick from a gang rape and then suddenly she wants to make out with him. And I remember like, like, and this is pre me two times. And I'm watching this going like, this seems like an odd choice for this girl. Like she just narrowly escaped a brutal gang raping. And now she wants to like make out with Chris O'Donnell. Like, I, I don't well, know. There's, there's also like this, there's this music cue when they kiss that is like, it's like this like crescendo of noise that you hear and i i can't i don't even know what instrument makes it but it sounds so ridiculous it's like oh they <laughs> they finally kissed thank god like we've been yeah. dying for this for over three minutes so yeah and like one of the other memorable things from this movie was how ridiculously fast they solve riddles to to the point where it's even like whose brain even works that way, and they uh, they they make fun of that. And there was something they made fun of that in. I want to say a South Park something or other. Uh, oh, maybe. <laughs> but th- that and uh, that and and what was what was the other one? Independence Day, where they figure out how they can bring the 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 alien spaceship down with a computer virus, and he, and and Jeff Goldblum was like, "Wait, what did you say? A cold? A virus?" 
like a computer virus. And it's just like, you know, one of those like out of left field. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it just like, this is like another example of that where they're like, you know, it's a mystery. Mr. E. E is the 13th letter of the alphabet. That means this. <laughs> it's just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, well, he just but- immediately figures this ridiculous riddle out. And he's like, it's Mr. E. Enigma, Edward Enigma. That's who the Riddler is. It's like, takes him five seconds, right? So, okay, so this movie, I, I, I've like kind of been holding back on talking too much because I'm like, because I, I did, I also did an ep, like this was a, mo- a movie that I probably would have included in this list if I hadn't just recorded an episode on it because I'm doing like a DC series and like I did Batman Forever and it was just like the entire time I was just so angry, like just watching this fucking movie because it's like that scene where where all of the riddles are coming together. Basically, they're like, okay, so we're figuring out that these are all connected somehow. They all have numbers in them. Maybe those numbers are letters of the alphabet. alphabet. And it's like, okay. And so they right. get the letters and it's M-A-H-E is the numbers they get. And then they ascertain that I guess they should just combine two of those numbers and to make that R. Just like... <laughs> There's right, nothing, there's right. no clue there to make that a thing. Like, there's, you don't, what are you getting this from? Like, get right. the fuck out of here. Right, right. It's such a ridiculous scene. Like, it, oh, God. I don't remember, I don't know, in retrospect, like, it must just be because I was only 12 years old the first time I saw this, because I don't know why I thought this was better than it was. Like, it's terrible. Oh, God. Well, and see, then, I mean, like, I think, I think a big thing with this movie is, like, the, the awe and, like, just the sheer popularity of Jim Carrey and how so many people were like all about Jim Carrey when this movie came out. And it was like, he's not like, I, I don't even like him in this movie. He's obnoxious and beyond what Jim Carrey's obnoxiousness normally is. He is obnoxious. And it's like, yeah, I can't, I mean, I can't get there. And then it's like, on top of that, they, you know, they've got these, They've got him being really like joke heavy and laughable and all this stuff. And then they like they make Tommy Lee Jones's character Two-Face be like that, too. And it's like, yeah, they tried to make they tried to turn Tommy Lee Jones into Jim Carrey. Right. And it's bizarre. Have you ever heard the the stories of like that Jim Carrey has said in like interviews and stuff on like podcasts? Like he talks about like. Tommy Lee Jones legitimately loathed him on this movie. (laughs) Like he hated, he was just like, he he told him that he didn't like him and that he couldn't sanction his buffoonery. (laughs) And it's like, holy shit, you can't sanction his buffoonery. Like that's, oh God, that's fucking great. I love it. And then there's the the overall plot with like the weird brainwave thing. Didn't, Mm -hmm. it just goofy, seemed very un-Batman-ish to me yeah seemed like something out of i don't know it was was like in the wrong movie right right and then there's the uh there's the final like showdown scene that's like out on that weird island and like i so i didn't rewatch this for this one i just referred to my previous notes from a few years ago okay (laughs) and i was pulling from that but like there was like a big almost like a well or something at one point right like a a huge vertical tunnel kind of thing right yeah like a silo with water in the yeah, bottom basically like a silo yeah. with water in the bottom yeah and they they like rappel down it with what's supposed to be you know like a bungee cord kind of thing or something and they hit the bottom and like their spines snap 
Like, <laughs> I remember that's the one part I remember watching as a kid and being like, how are they not dead right now? Like, right. Like you just see their bodies just fold backwards. I mean, this, yeah, this happened to, uh, to Gwen Stacy uh, in Spider-Man yes, and she did not yes. live to tell the tale. Like, come fuck on. Right, right. Yeah. And then, and then when uh, Tommy Lee Jones, like spoiler alert, you know, he, Batman wins in the end, but like when he goes to flip his coin, like he always does. And Batman just happens to have like $20 and quarters in his pocket yeah. <laughs> that he's been apparently running around <laughs> with the whole time and throws them all in the air. And Tommy Lee Jones <laughs> falls to his death. It's just oh, like, God. like, why does he have $20 and quarters in his pocket? Like, oh my God. Oh, it's so bizarre. So bizarre. But like, yeah, he just I, knew that moment was coming. Like, he knew Tommy Lee Jones was going to be standing way up high, yep, yep. <laughs> very vulnerable to this this potential threat of extra coins. And yeah, I mean, it's just yeah. it's fucking crazy. Bizarre. I gave it a C, yeah. which like despite how, how bad it is, like I, for some reason, I still find it to be kind of a fun movie. And like I said, I think Val Kilmer actually makes a good Batman. Uh, it's, so it's it's bad, but it's fun. Not easily defendable, but also I, I wouldn't give it a D or an E just because maybe it's my own personal memories of like, there's still part of me when I watch it that's 12 years old. <laughs> yeah. Like, just enjoy seeing Batman. And I mean, it like, like, let's be honest, it's no Batman and Robin, right? Like, that's that's bad. Right. This this is at least kind of fun. It, you, you at least don't sit there just like hating the world entirely, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, I can I can agree with that. Yeah, it's right. definitely better than Batman and Robin yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I gave it a C, and again, that that soundtrack is just classic. Love that soundtrack. It's still oh, yeah. still have it to this day on CD. Oh yeah. Um, and that's 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 all I got to say about that. That's all I got to say about Batman Forever. Okay. So yeah, um, my next one is Boogie Nights from 1997. Starring Mark Wahlberg, Burt Reynolds, Julianne Moore, and a bunch of other up-and-coming stars. Maybe not quite on the level of, well, I guess it's pretty comparable to Dazed and Confused with how many stars we see. But I guess they're bigger stars, I feel like. They're, they went on to have most of them were already established as well in this movie. Right. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Not all of them, but like there were right. a bunch of people that were already pretty established names in that. Yeah, so... This movie is fucking amazing at creating atmosphere and scenes, and that undeniably starts with the music, of course. Mm -hmm. There are so many well-known stars on screen at any given moment, and there's just so many good performances, but it's like the, this music, it's just like, it's a, it's a vibe. It's a, it hits differently with the, this music and you like feel like you're there, you know? And there's yeah. so many people that I forget are in this movie, I always forget, like, I know this is probably blasphemous, but it's like, I, I forget, I even forget that Don Cheadle is in this movie. Yes, Don Cheadle's excellent in this <laughs> yeah, movie. And Alfred Molina, I, I always remember his scene, but I forget that it's Alfred Molina. <laughs> and Thomas Jane is also, and it's like, yep. I mean, like, all of these people, I'm like, holy shit, how do they get all these And the performances people? are amazing. Oh, they in really this movie. are. I mean, I mean, I, I, like, much like uh, that last one, I feel like was uh, just put out on a, you know, on a string for you with Batman mm -hmm. forever. This one, like I, I can't not talk about Boogie Nights. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh yeah. I absolutely love Boogie Nights and the, the, the performances are brilliant. Like every single person just crushes it. The, 
the everything from like the main characters to the the bit players and the cameos from like Louis Guzman and Alfred Alfred Molina's character is like so intense and amazing in that movie that one scene that he's oh, yeah. in and it's so memorable and did you know that uh, apparently they actually put cotton in his ears in that oh, no. scene because you had the Chinese guy walking around throwing firecrackers and mm-hmm. he like doesn't even hear it practically while all the what? other guys who are super nervous keep jumping every time one blows up. They actually stuffed cotton in his ears so that he wouldn't like reflexively react to the explosions. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. I didn't know that. No, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, there, yeah, there's just like, I mean, there are a lot of very memorable scenes. I mean, obviously the music, like this is, this is one of those movies and they're obviously, we're only going to have more of these on the rest of my list, but this is one of those movies that, it's like I hear the songs that are in the movie, and if I hear them outside of this movie, I only think of this movie when I hear them, even though they stand alone as good songs. It's like I hear Spill the mm-hmm. Wine by War featuring Eric Burden, and it's like I, I think of that girl, you know, like you get the shot of the girl jumping into the pool, and you see her underwater swimming mm-hmm. and, and things like And I just, that's what I, I can picture it in my head as I'm hearing the song. And it's like, holy shit. Like, I mean, just so many great things. I mean, like you get some, as time progresses, you get a little change. And like, initially it's like early Mm seventies songs. And then it becomes like, you know, you get to the Alfred Molina part and it's like, you got, obviously I know you're like, well, by then they're in the eighties. Right. And, and that's, yeah, that's like, obviously I know you're a huge fan of the, the night ranger scene that scene with that song is in my opinion might be the best like musically fueled scene in history it's so oh, yeah. good and the tension you can feel it like it's uncomfortable right. to watch you know right and yet you can't not watch it it's uh, that scene is just so perfectly executed with from Mark Wahlberg to Tom Jane to John C. Riley to Alfred Molina. Like, it's just, uh, I, I can't say enough good things about how that scene, how brilliant Oh yeah, that and I mean, was. I love, I love the way it is presented. Like, cause it's like Alfred Molina has it on a mixtape, you know, it's just like yes. this mixtape is playing and it's like, he's jamming out to it, you know? And it's like, all of a sudden this song kicks on and it's like, it's the, his the awesome mixtape. <laughs> yeah, the buildup, the the natural buildup of Sister Christian is like the natural buildup of the scene, and it like yeah. it accompanies it so fucking well. Uh, I mean, like they're obviously like. I mean, I feel like there there are a lot of grim moments in this movie. Obviously, like oh, very getting grim. Tor- yeah, I mean, so like it's just they're deliberately contrasted at times with like seemingly upbeat music, even though it's like genuinely awful the stuff that's going on mm-hmm. you know like it's and it's just like you, you get this just this feeling of dread you know what i mean like yeah. and it's still and it's just so strange how they do it because i mean like i feel like a lot of different movies and tv shows have have, have like imitated that because mm-hmm. i don't before this movie i don't know how much i remember that happening in movies and it's like holy shit like i mean but i mean like then then you take a scene like the first scene where it's like, you know, Mark Wahlberg's character is, you know, he's going to be in his first adult film and he's got his first scene with Julianne Moore and they deliberately have like no music, no sound whatsoever. And it's like, it's just conveying that like uncomfortable awkwardness and it's like, it's perfect. It's like you fucking 
I mean, it, it's it, they 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 even use the silence to effect in that right. in this movie, right? Like, oh, yeah. it's it not only is the soundtrack really good, but they so perfectly weave it into the film itself right. to emphasize, like you said, emphasize dread where they need to emphasize it. Uh, where they use silence to emphasize certain moments, like where, you know, suddenly the music stops, right? To kind of like oh, convey yeah. the gravity of the situation. It just like throughout the entire movie and it, and it, to your point, like, you know, about there even being kind of upbeat music and like some really terrible moments and stuff, but there's like this almost like a bell curve or a upside down V, if you will, like where the first half of the movie is like crescendoing to like, you know, their stardom and everybody's on the rise and everybody's happy and getting more and more successful. And then there's a turning point at that. And it's like, it's deliberate, right? When they, they have the welcome to the eighties party, it's a new year's party. And that's like the turning point that, that the entire movie hinges on where that's the part, the first party where, or the first scene where something truly completely awful really happens. Right. Where William H. Macy like does a murder suicide in the middle of the party and then everything starts going down the other way. And then it becomes a moment of like, everybody's trying to convince themselves that they're like still crushing it, you know, and doing great and whatever, but everybody's miserable. They're hooked on drugs. People are ODing, you know, and then it like by the, the kind of the, the final act where, there's no pretending anymore, right? Everybody is miserable. And it's like that really ominous gong music is going mm-hmm. and just keeps chiming. And like everybody is just completely down and out. Mark Wahlberg is turning tricks again. Julianne Moore is just totally coked out and miserable. Burt Reynolds's empire is collapsing. Like the one guy has uh, the, the what was his name? The colonel or whatever has like gone to prison for for, I think, kitty porn or something like, yeah, you know, it's just right. like everything's everything's oh, collapsing around them. And it and it and even that sequence like kind of crescendos into or maybe it's after. I don't remember. It was before or after that Alfred Molina scene that you're talking about. Right. Where yeah. like it's like everything comes to a head in that scene. And it's it's it, and by the way, John C. Riley like deserve, oh, yeah. deserved an Oscar for his role in that movie. He is yeah. so next level. It's I love. Yeah, I love John C. Riley basically because of that movie. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's 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 fucking amazing. And it's like, I mean, honestly, like, you know, talking about that, it's like I feel like in the grimmest moments, it, unfortunately, it's when we get the least the least soundtrack. But it's like I, I feel like it's when the movie is most compelling and it's like when it's mm-hmm. most you know, it's so devastating to sit and watch yeah. all of these people and all of the th- all of their lives are coming apart after having all of this good fortune earlier on. And I mean, just it's oh, man, I, I mean, I abs- I absolutely fucking love it, honestly. Like, it's just it really I mean, it's it's fucking great. I, I just I, I guess, I, I, I did- you know, I think I've talked to you about it before, but but I don't know if you have the special edition DVD. There's like a there's a version of it that came out years ago that was like a two disc special edition DVD set and the second disc had nothing but like special features. And there's one of the special features on it called the John C. Riley files. And it's a bunch of outtakes where they like just kept the camera rolling and had him just keep riffing on his lines and like kind of uh, he's like ad libbing even as they go. And they're like five or 10 minutes long where he's like kind of repeating himself, but you know, where they're ultimately going to just take a snippet of it. And one of the scenes mm. was cut entirely, but it is unbelievable how good he is in these scenes where yeah. he's just, he's like coked up and just going 
and and it's yeah. like i don't know it's 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 amazing check check it check that out alone like yeah. pick it up if you can and check that out it's worth it so what are you rating this uh, i rated it an a so i would have personally i would put this in my s tier I think yeah, it's one I, of the best movies ever made. I, I knew I knew without question when I put it at A, I'm like, well, Dan's gonna have this on his you know, like he's gonna he's gonna have this at an S. Like there's no way he doesn't. So I mean like I, I knew you love this movie that much. So I do. I do. Oh, and I, actually, I'm a big PT Anderson fan, and that's probably my favorite oh, yeah. of all the PT Andersons is oh, that yeah. movie. Don't I know it? Yeah. So I mean <laughs> th- that's one notable notable piece of trivia is Leonardo DiCaprio was originally offered the role of Eddie Adams slash Dirk Diggler, but he had already signed on for his role in Titanic. Now, I I really truly like Mark Wahlberg in this movie, mm-hmm. but I would I would like to like see a version of this that has Leo from 1997. I could like, totally just, see him doing that. that oh, part. Yeah. I think Mark Wahlberg crushes it, but I, I think oh, yeah. Leo would have done well as well. Definitely. But yeah, that's I mean, that's what I got for that one. I mean. I, I I put it in an A just because of certain other movies that I selected for my list that I couldn't knock out of the the top. Well, spot. man, you got you got right to some good stuff. That was uh, <laughs> that was only the fourth the fourth of six as well, and you're already talking about stuff that's in my S tier. So so my my next one, I'm still at a B here. I'm, okay. I'm working my way up to it. But my next movie, uh, I don't have quite as much to say about it probably as uh, that those last couple. But there's a movie from 1972 called The Harder They Come, starring Jimmy Cliff, uh, written by I think written and written and directed maybe yeah written and directed by Perry Hensel. Uh, so this movie is credited for bringing reggae to the world, reggae music. Mm-hmm. It's it, it was 1972. It's set in Jamaica. Uh, it's about a guy who moves from the country into the city uh, and is immediately like robbed and loses everything. It really shows like the the seedy underbelly of the city in Jamaica, because especially, you know, I, I feel like still kind of to an extent to this day and like in, in general pop culture, when Jamaica is referred to, it's like, you know, Sebastian from under the sea and everybody's. You know, cool runnings. Don't forget yeah, that one. Cool, cool runnings and whatever. And it's like, you know, it's like this upbeat. Everybody's happy. Beaches. Everybody's getting high and having a good time. Whatever. When in reality, Jamaica is like one of the poorest countries in the world. It's super, super crime ridden. I, th- I think at one point it was like the highest violent crime rate in the world. Like, or you know, maybe not the world. I don't know, but a super high uh, violent crime rate. Um, rampant poverty and like you see that in this movie like it's they're they're not like sugarcoating life in jamaica at all and it's also instead of you know like the cartoonish you know sebastian from the little mermaid accent there's actually scenes in this that they have to subtitle because it's so hard to understand what they're saying because it's like it's like native jamaican which isn't purely english it's like this i don't know what it's called or if it's just jamaican or, or what but it's like it's like this it's almost like they're talking backwards, it sounds like. And it's hard to explain unless you see it. But it's 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 without subtitles, you would have no idea what they were saying. Let me just put it that way. But anyway, it's it uh it actually stars Jimmy Cliff, who was probably the first like international star, reggae star. He's one of I think he's one of only two reggae artists in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame next to Bob Marley, obviously. I mean, he he wasn't as big as Bob Marley, but he was, I think, a little bit earlier in terms of like international stardom. And this 
again, like I said, this movie is kind of credited as like bringing it to the world uh, mm-hmm. because the the soundtrack, in addition to the title track, The Harder They Come, which is an excellent, excellent song. It's been covered by a million different bands over the years. It's it's also got uh, like Desmond Decker on it. It's got Toots and the Maytals doing Pressure Drop. Uh, it has a couple other Jimmy Cliff songs. It's got You Can Get It If You Really Want, Sitting in Limbo. It's got uh, Many Rivers to Cross. Uh, also has Sweet and Dandy by the Maytals. Anyway, a lot of a lot of really good, really good classic, classic reggae songs. Uh, Jimmy Cliff actually wrote and performed all those songs that he did. Uh, because by then, by the time this movie came out, he had already made like two or three albums, I think. I mean, he's a... He was in Jamaica. He was already a star. But yeah, so it, it it revolves around this guy. He he comes to the city. He's immediately robbed. Like I said, it's he's super poor, but he's a good singer. And he's like trying to get into this music studio to make a record because he keeps trying to tell him like, hey, I can sing. I could do this. and I can make some money. And then he does cut a record and it like becomes this huge hit in Jamaica. But at the same time, a bunch of shit happens and he ends up like on the run from the police. He stabs a guy. He robs somebody. He does all this stuff. Uh, I think he shoots someone at one point. I think he shoots a cop uh, and he ends up on the run and he's like this outlaw kind of. And like all the people like love him because, you know, he's kind of this like larger than life character. But it happens very fast. Right. Like his his run is very short lived and it ultimately ends with him getting shot a thousand times on the beach when he gets caught by the cops finally. But it's uh, like, it, it's kind of a classic story. It's done on like a shoestring budget. I mean, it's like, it's very, very low budget. Uh, it says it's $400,000 Jamaican dollars. I don't know what that, I, I don't know what that translates to in US dollars, <laughs> but it definitely, definitely was, was made on a very small budget with like, People like Jimmy Cliff, who wasn't even a real actor necessarily, but it's it's pretty good. I gave it a B just because it, it is kind of hard to watch in, in some ways, you know, between the the super low budget and the the hard to, to understand accents. Uh, I feel like it, it kind of soars on its historical significance, um, like in the history of reggae music and everything, because so, it's like a classic in that regard. But it's good. But. But I would say, uh, unless you have like a, a real interest in that kind of music or that kind of uh, you know rock and roll history, probably not for everyone. Like I said, I give it a B. I really like it. Oh, best part though, when he finally gets into the into the studio and he records the title track, "The Harder They Come," it's like mesmerizing. Like you can feel it. It's it's one long single cut where they're just showing him in the studio singing the song, and it's like it's brilliant. He, he just nails it. And it's like, you can feel it, you know, like as he's like kind of grooving with it and everything and sweating, you know, like he's, he's like so into it, but I'm also a big, 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 big Jimmy Cliff fan. So right. <laughs> he's, he's yeah. one of my all time favorites, man. I don't know if uh, this is kind of a, a tangent, so I apologize, but I don't know if you're this way as well, but like when I get into something, especially like a musician or, you know, a media something or other, I kind of tend to like fall down a rabbit hole in like liner notes and everything and like learning everything I can about something. So like I, I came upon this in kind of a, a weird, like roundabout way. I got really into the clash in my early twenties, which is probably later than, than most, <laughs> but like yeah. I, I, I got super into the clash and there's one song where they reference this movie. And yeah. so like, I wanted to learn more about it and I started pulling the thread. And of course, by this point I was like reading biographies about the clash and all this kind of stuff. And so I came across 
this movie via reading about the history of the clash and how much they were into it and how influenced they were by Jimmy Cliff and some of this, this reggae music that was coming out of Jamaica in the early seventies. And then stumbled on, like I said, came across this movie, watched it, got the soundtrack fell in love with Jimmy Cliff and his entire catalog, fell in love with Toots and the Maytals and their entire catalog and all these other things that like I kind of came to by way of like this other stuff. Do you do the same thing when you come across stuff? Um, Definitely to a lesser degree than you do. Cause I mean, like you always talk about that. Like you'll, you like, you'll talk to me about not wanting to own things digitally or things like that because you want to buy like the CD and you want to get the liner notes and things like that so you can read up on it. And I, that for me, I'm like, I'm not really <laughs> that into it. Like I just, to me, it's like, I want to listen to the music and it's like, or it's like with movies. I mean, obviously there are certain things that I will get really into, but I don't do that. Definitely not as much as you. I, I definitely do it on like a level of like, okay, this is something like, like Batman. I would say I really go all in on Batman, but obviously that's like a huge thing for me. Right. But it's like some of my, my most favorite musicians and bands. It's like, like famously my sister, your wife gave me a bunch of shit. Cause I was recording an episode <laughs> and I was talking about Taylor Swift, who I love very much. And I didn't even know the story behind why she was re-recording her albums. <laughs> right. And I didn't even know it. Like I, I hadn't even <clears throat> looked into it, you know, like I, I wanted to talk about that, but it was yeah, like, I remember that. Yeah. I, yeah. Cause it was like, so it's like, yeah, I just I guess I don't I don't have that that curiosity on that level mm. that I just do that. But yeah, I mean, I like I fall down rabbit holes and like there's there's an entire section of my record collection probably that is like clash adjacent or that like I could trace the thread between like I started listening to this and then that took me to this and then this person, you know, co-wrote this song. So I looked them up and then that led me to this other thing. And like, I don't know. And I I, I mean. My affinity for physical media is kind of, there's like two reasons. One of them is that I love pawn through the liner notes and like learning about it and, and, you know, seeing who, who popped in to, to help out with the, you know, you find somebody like played the drums on one track and you're like, holy shit, you know, so-and-so was on there. But then also I just, I, for whatever weird reason, I find like a satisfying physical connection to like the physical media, like of placing a record on a turntable or a CD into a, cd tray and like i don't know it's one of those weird mental things that i can't quite explain (laughs) but yeah but i enjoy it nonetheless fair Um, enough but yeah so anyway sorry that was a that was a long tangent uh sparked by a movie that i said i didn't have as much to say about so you can feel free to cut all that out if it was not (laughs) interesting but but yeah the harder they come 1972 it's a classic i give it a b and check it out for the soundtrack even if uh the movie's hard to watch all right Sounds good to me. Um, You've got to be up to your like S tiers at this point, right? I'm one away from the S tier. <laughs> so okay. my next movie is Dirty Dancing, previously covered on this podcast from 1987, starring Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze. I, how do I put this? I The m- songs in this movie, it's like the quintessential. I hear these songs in real life. I think of Dirty Dancing there are so many of them. It's like late 50s, early 60s dance tunes and things like that. And it's like the entire soundtrack is so memorable for me. And like there's mostly previously existing songs 
but there are also these few songs that were recorded in the late 80s for this soundtrack that are stupendous in my mind as well. And I mean, I it's like it really it's funny because this movie starts off by saying like baby is doing voiceover narration, Jennifer Gray's character. And she says that it's the summer of 1963. But yet I feel as though that doesn't really set in until you start to hear these songs that are playing. I mean, you you hear she goes and sees all of these uh, employees dancing and they're dancing to Do You Love Me by The Contours, you know, and she starts to kind of see what their life's all about and how different it is from hers and things like that. And I mean, there, I mean, so many of these songs, it's like there, there's a scene where um, basically the premise of the movie is this character Penny played by Cynthia Rhodes is she's pregnant and she's got to have an abortion and it's going to happen on the night of this big dance that she has to do. And it's going to be like a big paycheck for her. And essentially she has to baby has to take over for her so she can get this procedure done. And that's the entire premise of the movie. And it's like, we get this scene where it's like, you know, Patrick Swayze is teaching Jennifer Grey to dance and, you know, they're in this like this empty room, this like dance studio, basically. And they are lip syncing to the song called Love is Strange by Mickey and Sylvia. And it's like it's such a like a perfect scene. Like you don't see I mean, like you, you wouldn't want to see it in a lot of movies, but it's like you don't see characters in movies like lip syncing and dancing to songs that are on the radio, you know, and and doing it this well, because they're kind of doing it like they're flirting with each other. And it's like, it's, it's just like, it elevates the scene to this. It's like just this back and forth between Mickey and Sylvia in this song where they're like talking to each other. And it's like, I, I fucking love it, honestly. So like, obviously it's, I mean, so not only do we have those songs that do fit the era, but like the original songs that I'm talking about, like, Obviously, the most popular song from this movie is probably I've Had the Time of My Life by Bill Medley and Jennifer Warnes. And that's the one that plays at the final dance scene where they've worked so hard to get good at this routine and they've got to perform it in front of this giant crowd of people and they've got to execute this big number and all these things. And I mean, like that song is so memorable and it's like it's it's got such a great sound to it and it fits so well. I mean, it's supposed to be from the 60s and it doesn't truly feel like it's in the 60s, but it also doesn't feel like it's in the late 80s at all. And it's like they clearly like went above and beyond to make it sound like that. And then, I mean, you got like She's Like the Wind by Patrick Swayze. That's just kind of like a, a cool song. I mean, it's just it's it just kind of fits well into the scene where it's featured where Johnny and baby are out together and all this stuff. But so overall, I just, I love the characters in this movie. I I think even the characters you're supposed to hate are very well concocted and they're, they, the people who are playing them play them well and they really execute that whole, like, Oh, this is a snobby rich guy that I don't like. And he thinks he's better than everybody else and treats these dancers like shit and babies basically got to understand like how this works and what is really going on, like how their differences and all the politics involved with what their interactions are like and things like that. And it's like, she doesn't, I mean, basically you just see 
her growth and then you know you see all, all i mean even patrick swayze's character johnny like he's got a lot of growth in this movie he originally is not a fan of baby he doesn't want to do want anything to do with her and it's like they obviously fall in love and all this stuff but I, it's just a to me the only reason it's like i I don't know what it is about this movie. I think, I mean, my sister and mom used to watch this when I was growing up and I really, you know, I wasn't as big of a fan of it when I was younger, but when I got older and I watched it, I'm like, God, this movie is like super fucking watchable. Like, I don't know what it is about it, but I truly enjoy it. And it's like, it's so much of it is music. It's so very much the soundtrack of it all that it's like, I hear these songs and it's like, oh my God, I fucking love it. You, you've, you've got, I mean, so many fucking tunes that it's like, holy shit. So yeah, I mean, I guess I would say, I mean, I gave that an A. It's um, it's a solid movie. It's um, definitely worth watching. I mean, I, I recently did an episode on it and it's just, it's one that I kind of hold near and dear to my heart. And I, I listen to the songs that are on this soundtrack all the time and I, I still love them. So yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, I mean, that's basically what I got for, for Dirty Dancing. I have absolutely nothing to say about Dirty Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of figured maybe you didn't. So, yeah. So, I just let you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's one of my faves. I realize it's like a chick flick, but it's it's I enjoy it. I, I like it. As well you should. Yes. All right. So, All I right. mean, I'll defer to you. So, I'm... I'm uh... I'm up to the A's, finally. I've, I've finally got there. My next one, I don't know if you've seen this or not. If you haven't, I highly recommend you check it out. But my next one is Baby Driver. Have you ever oh, yeah. seen that? Yep. It stars Ansel Elgort, who has the most unfortunate name ever for a, uh actor, I feel. <laughs> like, oh, God. I'm, I'm really surprised that he didn't, uh, like, take a stage name or something. <laughs> yeah, no shit. I mean, like, I, I saw a guy, I was doing I was doing an episode, and one of the credits was a guy named Richard Suckle. And it's like, his name is Dick Suckle. Like, come the fuck on. Anyway, yeah, it's yeah. just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it just, it was, so, yeah, it starts Ansel Elgore as a uh, getaway driver for uh, a gang of uh, like bank robber type criminals. He was orphaned at a young age and he ended up kind of uh, falling in somehow. They don't really go into the the background other than you assume that like he got in trouble at some point. Kevin Spacey's character helped him out and he's kind of paying off a debt by being his getaway driver for these bank bank robbery heists. And he's trying to pay off the debt until he can walk away because he's actually not a bad guy. He's a good kid. He takes care of people around him, stuff like that. Um, he's got a good heart. But as you could probably predict, at some point, the movie takes a left turn and shit gets real and uh, and like he's got to get away. Right. So and that's kind of what it crescendos to. So the the like I said, it's got uh, Kevin Spacey as well. Uh, it also has Lily Adams as the love interest. It has John Hamm, John Bernthal, Jamie Foxx are all criminals, basically, that come in at different times. I mean, it was, it's uh, an Edgar Wright movie, right? It's an it's Edgar a- Wright movie. It was written and directed by Edgar Wright. The reason why this one is on here is because th- this, kind of like what you were talking about with uh, with Boogie Nights, the, the music 
and the movie like mesh together in a way that the movie would not work without the music, right? Or it wouldn't work right. as well, certainly. And in fact, it's it's almost like it's not a musical, but it's kind of a musical in the sense that like the entire movie is like it's almost choreographed to the beat. So like yeah. there will be like a shootout with a song going in the background and the gunshots are like the gunshots and and like movements of the actors and everything are purposely taking place like to the beat and like synchronized with the music uh, in, in a really neat way. And there's even like he purposely cast a bunch of musically inclined people where he could. So like Jamie Foxx is in it. Ansel Elgort himself is like a DJ musician or something or other. At one point, uh, you actually see Paul Williams, the uh, musician and soundtrack guy from like a million different movies. Not to be confused with John Williams, but Paul Williams is a different guy who's done a million soundtracks. He actually like writes a lot of songs, though, um, for mm. those things. He's one of those people, if you look into like his, his credits... You're like, holy shit, he wrote a lot of hits. You know, one of those guys, like super right. songwriter types, you know. But like the the character, though, the main character in his getaway driving, like he always has his his earbuds in. And he's always got like one of the old timey iPods with the, the wheel. When the, the gangsters rob a bank and jump in the car, he like specifically selects a song, puts his earbuds in, throws it into gear, and then like an awesome chase scene ensues, right? And it's like kind of his his MO, like he's always living his life to like a beat. And you find out that the reason he always has his headphones in is because he has some condition where like he has this ringing in his ear from a car accident that he got in when he was a child, which is where his parents died, all this. So like he, he has earbuds in all the time to kind of drown it out. And he's like partially deaf. So he reads lips. So he doesn't even need to be listening to people. He just reads lips and like he's kind of a savant, but it's, it's like, it's a super fun movie. The car chases are awesome. Like I said, the the way that the music integrates with the actual choreography of the scenes is like amazing. The sound editing is super good. Uh, it's super entertaining. It's a super fun watch. I highly, highly recommend it. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Great action romp. One one note of trivia because I did watch a couple of the the. Uh, Special features. I, I picked up the Blu-ray just for this project because I wanted to watch it on like, you know, good speakers and all that kind of stuff. Because <laughs> I, the only other time I had watched it was on an airplane with headphones. And one of the extra features, they're talking about the different actors that were in it. And they're talking about Kevin Spacey. And he says, it's fun to see Kevin be bad. You'll love him no matter how mean he is. <laughs> and I think to myself, that line didn't age well. <laughs> no, it did not. <laughs> God, I have that feeling literally every time I talk about like a Kevin Spacey movie that I enjoy that it's like, God, I wish Kevin Spacey didn't turn out the way he turned out because, I mean, I like a lot of his movies. Right, right. So, yeah, there's also the, the, the old timey iPods like have this like weird nostalgia feel as he like pulls one out and starts clicking through the list. That little yeah. wheel. That's kind of cool. Uh, John Bernthal is excellent in it. He's only in a in it briefly, but uh, he he plays a very John John Bernthal like character. You know, he's just really good at being like a a jerk. <laughs> you know, right? He's kind of a cartoonish dick in the scene that he's in, but it works perfectly. There's uh, what else did I have written down here? Oh, great cinematography. There's really cool scene transitions that they do. Yeah. So overall, though, again, I think I've said it about five times now, but it's just it's a fun movie. It's a really fun movie, and they even like 
change the volume within it to like, you know, it, it, they turn it up when it needs to be turned up and then they turn it down to be in the background. And it just, again, it, it just, you know, they, they just nail it. So apparently it was a bit of a passion project for Edgar Wright. He had, he had been wanting to do this for years and then kind of finally it all came together for him. Yeah. I give it an A. I yeah. think it's excellent. Yeah. Check I mean, I liked it. I like that one a lot. I think it's, uh, I mean, Edgar Wright, honestly, he's, he's got a lot of, a lot of faves of mine. Like I, I really like Edgar Wright and I hot fuzz, right, such a hot good movie. fuzz, Shaun of the dead. I mean, he, he even did that movie. I don't know if you would have seen this, but it's uh the last night in Soho and it's a bit of a, like almost a horror movie. It's got like, yeah, I mean, it's a little ridiculous. It's got Anya Taylor joy and Diana rig and like, just random people but i mean it's a really it's an interesting movie i, I mean it wasn't like an all-time fave but it was definitely enjoyable now by the, by the way i think earlier i said lily adams for some reason it's lily james <laughs> oh okay i don't know where i got that yeah, what else is Edgar Wright done there's another one that for some reason isn't coming to mind i mean there's at world's end there's uh... did he do scott pilgrim no yeah yeah he directed scott pilgrim versus the world which your sister my wife absolutely despised i thought it was i excellent. know she did <laughs> see that was the funny thing is like that one is one that i almost put on this list but it was like i couldn't like the songs i don't know like i as much as i enjoy them while i'm watching it it's like it wasn't i don't know yeah I, I, they're not they don't always hit the same way for me so i i struggled to leave it I off the list. i could have been a good good one for this list yeah yeah because she texted me michelle did about <laughs> about that movie she's like I watched Scott Pilgrim and she was she was like it was very not good like Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter levels of not good and I was yeah, like I was like <laughs> maybe I need to check out Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter then huh <laughs> Yeah I think her her exact words to me were that was the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life <laughs> Jeez Yeah she wasn't a fan but that's that's all I got to say about Baby Driver all right, what's the top of your list? The cream of the crop. The tippy top of my list could only be this movie for this topic. Forrest Gump from 1994. I wondered if that was going to creep in. Starring Tom Hanks, Robin Wright, Gary Sinise, and Sally Field. And I don't know if I could name any other actor that is in this movie other than those four. Like, they're, this is not one of those ones that people are just coming out of the woodwork and they're really famous faces before they were stars and stuff like it's just like these limited people but so brief synopsis a man with a lower than average iq goes through life while directly or indirectly involved with major world events while being largely unaware of their cultural significance and i don't i don't know i just that's a paraphrase of a synopsis i saw for this movie a while back on like cable or something and it was just the description and it was like i guess that that does sum it up pretty much, but Haley I mean, Joel Osment. Oh yeah. Shit. I forgot he was in this movie. <laughs> Fuck. Anyway. So, so I mean, I would say Forrest Gump is probably in my top 10 all time. I fucking love Forrest Gump. There's so much to love about it. It's just got an off the wall plot. I mean, you just see this guy doing all of these weird different things throughout his life and just, he has such an interesting life and it's like, the music really helps. I would say the biggest thing for this movie with the music is that it's just, it's basically showing you the passage of time and in what era you're, you're viewing, you know, what you're seeing on screen. It's like, Oh, okay. So this is the fifties because Elvis is playing, you know, this is, 
this is the 70s because Fleetwood Mac is playing, you know, like, I mean, things like that. So it's like, it not only has a great soundtracks, but it's just, they immerse you in the scenes. Like, it's like, you get the scenes like, I mean, like, I can't not think of All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix or For What It's Worth by Buffalo Springfield and not think of, like, the scenes in the Vietnam War in this movie and it's just like, it's what I associate them with so heavily. And I realize that they're, you know, especially for what it's worth is pretty much considered like a war type song. And it's like, it's just, but I mean, my God, I, I just fucking love the way they do it. So, I mean, like we get a scene early on where Forrest is in all of these, he, he's in these leg braces and he, I don't, I've never heard of, I don't know if that's not a thing anymore, if that's like a thing that was more prevalent in the fifties, but I've never heard of somebody having braces on their legs for any reason. And he's talking to, his mother runs this boarding house and he meets this guy who we're to assume is Elvis and Forrest does this little dance for him. And then later on, Forrest sees Elvis on TV and he does a little version of the dance that Forrest was doing and the mother's just horrified and blah 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 but Forrest goes through all of these trials and tribulations you know he he becomes a, a star college football player and essentially it like works to his advantage at every turn that he just he doesn't question anything he doesn't really he, he his uh his overall like his mind does not work the way most people's mind work minds work where it's like they they want to question stuff. They want to they want to think critically. It's like he's just doing things. He's just doing what he's told, and that's it. And it's like they hand him a football, and he has to get to the other end zone, and he just runs it, and he is super fucking fast. And it's like it, it's really entertaining. I mean, like he goes to the military, same thing. You know, he's he's not questioning anything, and they're like praising him for what a, a good soldier he is because he's just doing what he's supposed to as quickly as he can. And he's just getting it done. And then, of course, the whole movie is of it's going to have Jenny, who Forrest meets when he's a, a kid and he is in love with. And she, it, basically, we see the shittier side of histi- history with her or like the the <clears throat> less mainstream side of history where he's going and he's meeting presidents and things like that. But she's going and she's getting involved in the counterculture movement and she's. <sighs> getting into drugs and things like that. Well, it's funny. You mentioned like when you, when uh, they show him meeting presidents and, and they drop him into like famous news clips and, yeah. and things like that. Like that was like kind of weirdly revolutionary at the time. I, I, re- I recall that was a big deal. The way they so seamlessly were able to put him into scenes with like Richard Nixon and stuff. Right. And I mean, it does, I mean, it, it's definitely when you watch it today, it's, there are things that it's like, yeah, okay, that's, that's definitely of its time special effects. Cause mm-hmm. I mean like their mouths, especially if you watch the way they move where they inserted them into these clips, it's like their mouths are moving and it looks very cartoonish <laughs> and weird. But I mean, I guess like that reminds me now that you said that the, there's a moment where I think he's on the Dick Cavett show and John Lennon is on there. And I, it, honestly, like, for me, it's probably like I should enjoy it, but it's to me, it's like the dumbest part of the movie <laughs> where basically Forrest Gump just feeds John Lennon. He's like basically just making him say the words to the song Imagine by John Lennon. And it's like it's just to me, I watch it. And I'm like, this 
that's fucking stupid. Like that's yeah. just, just fucking, <laughs> they're, just they're, why did you do yeah. that? He's like, I like, he's talking about his experiences and John Lennon's like, Oh, and no religion too. And it's like, Oh, shut the fuck up. Like get the yeah. hell out of here. I, I, I have that feeling when, uh, when the, the scene where he starts running back and forth across the country and like mm. he, he comes up with the shit happens bumper sticker and they hand him a t-shirt to wipe his face. And it's like a smiley face, you know, I'm yeah. like, come on. <laughs> right now you're going a little overboard now <laughs> right right because i mean it is it's like it's funny because like this movie it can have a great sense of humor yeah. but stuff like that i'm like yeah i don't really like that yeah, like that's yeah. not great you see him he's doing his running after you know he goes he plays ping pong he competes internationally as a ping pong player and he goes and he eventually just decides to start running one day and he's running all over and you know you get all you get on the road again by Willie Nelson. You get go your own way by Fleetwood Mac. And it, it just, the music does so much to, to serve these scenes to, to provide like, okay, this is what we're doing. This is where we're at. And there's just so much history. Like I didn't understand. Like I, lo- I liked this movie a lot when I was a kid. And when the movie came out, it was like, holy shit, this is really great. It's, it's funny, but it, you know, it's got the seriousness mm. to it, but it's like, when I was a kid, I didn't fucking understand anything in this movie. Like, I didn't understand <laughs> a fucking word of it. Like, it's like, I didn't know about Watergate. I didn't know about the Vietnam War. I didn't know about any of this shit. Yeah. And it's like, he's talking about, you know, like he basically is the one that calls the police on the Watergate scandal. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, when I watched that, I was like, what the fuck's happening? What's the big deal with this? These guys that are looking around with flashlights and stuff. But I mean, I, I overall, I enjoy the movie. and. It's just, it's funny because I read something or I saw like a, maybe it was like a TikTok or a reel or something the other day. It was like Tom Hanks was doing a podcast or a radio show and he was talking about how they were going to make a sequel to this movie and they had it all written and they had it all like pretty much to the point that they were about to shoot it and it was going to get shot like right after 9-11 happened. And essentially everything he said that was like going to be in the movie, he was just like, I, I don't think that this is going to work. Like, this is not like for some reason, he just everybody that was involved with it was just like, yeah, this is not a movie that we need to make. And it's like, I didn't I didn't realize that. Like, hmm. I had never heard that before. But I mean, yeah, well, it's, I'm, I'm glad they didn't because it's easy to fall into a, the trap of a cash grab, especially for something like that, that the movie spans decades Oh, yeah. So would a remake or not a remake, but a sequel like just span the next couple of years like they ended it at the modern day. Yeah, right. And I know? mean, that's that's the thing is it like I don't. Yeah, I don't know. You know, they mm. didn't get all the way into it. But I it was. Know. I mean, what I always find funny about this movie and my sister can attest to this, like the when we would watch this movie when we when I was younger, it was like the the scene where Jenny says that she has some kind of virus and you're to assume that it's AIDS, right? Yeah, I and thought it's it was like, AIDS. Right, and so, but it, it's never actually spelled out in the movie. It's mm. just you're supposed to gather that it's AIDS, you know? And it's like, my mom always said, well, no, they didn't have AIDS then. You know, like that- in a- the AIDS 90s? No, no, it was like, I mean, it would have been, I think it was supposed to be like the late 80s. I thought at the by the end of the movie, it was supposed to be modern day, like 1994. It could have, I mean, it might have been, but like basically the long story short, she was getting the impression that the time period in which it was, but basically it was like, she says in the scene that she doesn't 
know what like they don't know what this virus is so it's like yeah it's aids but she doesn't mm. they don't know what it is because it's early enough on that they, they don't recognize it this movie i mean it it'll always hold a special place in my heart just well, despite uh, its according to uh screenrant.com the writer confirmed that uh, she did die of aids okay Jenny i mean that's so there yeah you go. that was that was the thing i mean like we, we tried telling my mom that this this is what she had AIDS, like, come the fuck on. Like, how would she not have had AIDS? Like, it's the only thing that would make sense. So, though a different I mean, website says it may have been hepatitis C. I'm going to go with what the with the writer said. <laughs> I'm, I'm going with, yeah, the more mainstream, popular. Yeah, it's uh, sorry to, to transition, but. Oh, yeah. Um, speaking of of Forrest Gump, right? Like it was night or speaking of it being 1994. That was such an amazing year for movies oh, yeah. and music in yes. general. Like it's, I've often joked that like, in my opinion, 1994 was like the ultimate year for movies and music. But oh yeah. Are I you mean, aware of Pulp of, Fiction, Shawshank yeah, Redemption? The, 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 it, so Forrest Gump won best picture that year, the Oscar, and it beat out mm. Pulp Fiction and Shawshank Redemption. Like, right. That's a, that's a trio of movies right there that most other years don't even come near. Right. No, usually like usually what I see, even when they have like 10 movies in the nominees, it's like most of the movies I'm like, I, I wouldn't even like suggest somebody watch that movie like to, yeah. to just like pass the time, you know, like usually it's like such a disappointment or something. Yeah. But with that, I mean, with that band of I mean, like, I think like maybe four weddings and a funeral was in that yep. group, too. Yep. But and it's quiz like show. Yeah. Those and I mean, five. So it's like. Wow. Yeah. Well, I Pulp can't Fiction and Sawshank Redemption. Like, you can make a case for three of the movies out of the oh, five. Oh, yeah. Easily. As, as being, you know, best of the decade, let alone of that year. Oh, yeah. For sure. But yeah, I mean, that's what I got. It's an S rating for me on Forrest Gump. I really love it. It's uh, one of my all time faves, as I mentioned. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't refute your S rating, despite a couple of those scenes you mentioned that are kind of silly. Like, I think it's hard, at least having been alive when this movie came out, right? And like, being into movies and stuff like it's it's hard to downplay like the cultural impact Forrest Gump had at the time, you know? Oh yeah. Like despite how good Shawshank Redemption and and Pulp Fiction are and and the arguments that could be made that like those might actually be the best movie from that year. Right. I think it's 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 hard to separate that cultural impact with like the stuff with the blue screens that they were doing and putting him into those scenes and and the the way the movie spans several decades and it was just like in a in a year where people were doing things that hadn't quite been done before, that was like it was kind of a phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, well, the one thing I didn't mention in the movie is the the scene that I I most notably remember, like Siskel and Ebert talking about, like it being a really amazing visual effects shot, is where Forrest is giving a speech at the National Mall or whatever, and like. Jenny comes, there's this giant crowd of people that are all yep. clearly digitally made. And Jenny comes walking across the reflecting pool. And it's like, holy shit, like, how the fuck did they do that? Mm. It's unbelievable. And it doesn't, you know, it's seamless. Like, I don't, I don't remember, yeah. like, in watching it, like, it didn't stand out as like, oh, well, they, yeah, they did CGI for that or something. You know, it's like, yeah. it looks fucking great. I mean, yeah. Yeah, sorry. That's all I had for that. I keep all going right. Back, so but. that's your that's your S tier. So mine, I, I went back and forth between a diff couple of different things that I almost included. And back to like what we were talking about earlier, like the the criteria for the list. Mm. Would you have included 
Musicals? Like straight up musicals. I thought about one particular musical. Yes. And I thought to myself, hmm, that's a gray area. Originally, my number one S tier was going to be a musical. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, yeah, maybe that's not quite what we're going for here. But not... Not a musical in the sense that like it's just a good musical. Like st- it, it would have still met my criteria of like a soundtrack where I would listen to the music without watching the movie. Now, granted, I was a kid at the time, but my original number one S tier was going to be The Lion King. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but wow. ultimately, I was like, okay, I guess that's like it's a Disney musical though, and and it's kind of an outlier from the rest of the list. But I was. Very curious, and I didn't want to say anything ahead of time, so I was very curious to see if any musicals were going to end up on your list, like you know, West Side Story or something, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I probably would have, I probably would have had Grease on my list. Like, I'm a, yeah, I'm a big yeah. enough Grease fan, but it's like, yeah, I, I don't, I couldn't because it's like to me, yeah, that's like a different topic altogether. Yeah, I feel like, yeah. So for me, I swapped out of the at the last minute to a different S tier movie with an amazing soundtrack, Office Space. From 1999. Okay. All right. Ron Livingston, Jennifer Aniston, and several others in smaller roles. It's a Mike Judge movie. He wrote it. I don't know that he directed it. I don't think he directed it, did he? Um, But I know he wrote it. Did he? Maybe. Hang on. We can get to the bottom of this. Oh, he did. It was written and directed by. Okay. So Office Space, you may remember when we the first episode of this we did. uh, It's the second of two movies that I saw in the theater before it was cool. And told everybody how good it was and nobody believed me. But Office Space is another one of those movies that's like achieved cult classic status at this point. The soundtrack, it's not only an excellent soundtrack to just listen to. It's got a bunch of stuff from like the Ghetto Boys are on it. There's a lot of rap Mm. on it. There's a lot of other good pop songs and stuff on it. Probably the biggest highlights are Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangster and Mm. Still also Ghetto Boys. But still not so much because of the song, but because of the scene that it's in. Because this is another one where like, oh, yeah, it's it's not like Dirty Dancing or Baby Driver level in the or 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 any of those other ones in the sense that like the entire movie is based around specific songs, you know, and like like the interplay with the music. But there are two scenes in the movie that would not be the same without the soundtrack. And one of them is the scene where, you know, he's. After he's been hypnotized, I, I should say as a as a quick synopsis for anybody who hasn't seen it, it's essentially about a guy who hates work so much that he gets hypnotized to like think that he's somewhere else, basically. But the, the hypnotist dies before he wakes him up. And so he uh, completely like just ends up blowing off work and like hilarity ensues, essentially. But uh, there's the scene post hypnosis where he finally goes back to work and just doesn't give a shit about anything. And damn, it feels good to be a gangster is playing in the background as he like takes a drill and just takes apart his cubicle and knocks down the wall. So suddenly he has an office window or a, mm-hmm. a window office, basically. And he's kind of checked out. He's wearing, you know, plain clothes. He's not in like a shirt and tie or anything. He goes ahead and takes a long lunch break over at Tchotchke's and finally like asks out the waitress that he's had a huge crush on, who's played by Jennifer Aniston. And like, you know, this whole like sequence unfolds. The other scene that's like not the same without the soundtrack is there's a scene where he steals the the printer 
from from the mm-hmm. office and they like do this like slow motion gang style beat down of the printer with like baseball bats and stuff while the ghetto boys play in the background of like one of the most aggressive rap songs ever of the guy yelling die motherfucker die as they like smash mm-hmm. this and at one point the one guy actually like tosses the baseball bat aside and starts punching the uh, mm-hmm. the printer with like this just look of rage on his face because it's one of the recurring jokes that it keeps jamming and like you know they get error messages and like for anybody who's ever wa- worked in an office even like in school or anything like you know you know that feeling where the the guy like he's trying to print something and it's jamming and it's giving him this air and he goes pc load letter what the fuck does that even mean <laughs> like right yeah <laughs> and uh so yeah it's a it's a total classic it's got super memorable moments from uh, like gary cole shows up as his boss and steven root plays milton this like super weird character that's like soft-spoken and just goofy that keeps appearing appearing throughout the movie diedrich bader plays this like this this hilarious this hilarious (laughs) neighbor who's always yelling through the wall when there's this breast exam (laughs) commercial comes on because it's got a topless chick in it and he yells through the wall hey the breast the breast exam commercial's on check it out man (laughs) he has i mean he is so deadpan like he is when he comes (laughs) over to talk to him and like he asks it, you know, he asked Diedrich Bader what he would do if he had a yes. million dollars. And he just looks at him and he's like, I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time. And it's like, <laughs> that's that's all he had. That's the only thing this guy gives a shit. Yes. But it's like, he's dead serious. Like, he is yes. not joking at all. Yes, yes. Because chicks dig dudes with money. And if he had a million dollars, he could probably work that out. <laughs> <laughs> I love when he, he, like, tries to talk him down from that line of thought. And he goes, he goes, well, you know, women are always. And he's like, well, type of chicks that would double up on a dude like me would. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so good and and then there's the oh bobs like the two consultants mm-hmm. that come in to like lay people off played by uh john c mcgillney who you might know from scrubs the oh TV yeah show and He's paul wilson great. who's like been in a million different things i think he played carl rove in the josh brolin george w bush movie maybe Oh, maybe. Um, and he's, he's played. I don't know. He's, he he pops up in a million things all over the place. But uh, they play the Bobs. <laughs> They're both named Bob. And then one guy who's in it, the guy that plays the character named Michael Bolton, which is itself a running joke in the movie that his name is Michael Bolton and he hates Michael Bolton. It's played by a guy named David Herman, who I don't think I've ever seen appear in anything else ever. And he's like so good in Office Space. He nails that part. Wait, the Michael Bolton guy? Yeah. Is he in oh, anything else? Do you know the only other thing I've seen him in is Dude, Where's My Car? <laughs> he was in that movie as the stoner guy, like the dealer, I think, for for uh, Ashton Kutcher and Sean William Scott. Like he was, the, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of, though, honestly. Well, like, I guess it. It, looking at his uh, filmography, it appears he was in a bunch of other stuff. It looks like he's also primarily done a lot of uh, voice acting. So okay. like. B-movie, Futurama, Storks, Scooby-Doo, Bob's Burgers. So oh. uh, so I guess he's he's around, just not in front of the camera, I guess. Yeah, he's so good in that role, though. And oh, when, yeah. When uh, they're like, what's wrong with Michael Bolton? That's a fine name. He's like, no, it was a fine name until that <laughs> no-talent ass clown started selling records and winning Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> 
and he's like oh super God. into like hardcore gangster rap even right. though he's the most square white guy he ever saw because yeah that's his big scene at the yeah. beginning of the movie yes. it's like he's in his car and he is jamming out to fucking hardcore rap music and he sees the guy coming down the street that's the, gonna like he's, I don't he's, know. he's selling flowers like right. going window to window in the traffic jam and he like turns it way down and it's like yeah. rolls up his window <laughs> yeah Right. And it's like, oh, my God, it's so fucking great. Oh, man. I really yeah. do love that one. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's such a good movie. I mean, I I can't imagine anyone listening to this hasn't seen Office Space. But like if you haven't seen Office Space, you've got to do yourself a favor and watch Office Space. One of the greatest movies of all time, in my opinion. Definitely oh, yeah. an S tier. Great soundtrack. The supporting cast kind of like makes the movie with all the little goofy characters that that you see in the movie. It's very, very, it's a very Mike judge movie, you know, with oh, yeah. little characters and stuff. Really, really witty, really, really good. I, I don't have any bad things to say about office space. One of my favorite movies of all time. S tier oh, yeah. all the way. That's oh, yeah. all I've got I'm, to say about that. I'm, I'm very astounded that you, that boogie nights was not your S tier movie, just based on what I know about you know, your movie taste. I thought about it. I thought about it, but I wasn't sure if we might actually end up doing like a PT Anderson list at uh, some point. Right. But uh, but I was glad that you brought it up because it gave me a chance to uh, rant and rave about how wonderful it is. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was arguably my biggest struggle with this <laughs> whole thing was like having done episodes like yep. there were movies I left out that I had done episodes on or, you know, I've already recorded them and haven't released them. And I'm like, I'm going to be retreading all of the same material and same stuff to talk about. You know mm -hmm, what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I just, but I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do a few that I've already talked about or that I, you know, and just give in. Yeah. So, so with that, like, you know, speaking of stuff we didn't talk about, I mean, to, to talk about also mentions, um, mm -hmm. again, for, uh, if this is your first time tuning in, we don't say honorable mentions because we're including stuff that's terrible. <laughs> right. So also mentions like I have a laundry list of movies that I considered covering. At one point I had mentioned uh, documentaries. I almost covered a documentary because there's this really good Joe Strummer documentary called The Future is Unwritten. And the soundtrack was released as a separate CD. And it's not just Joe Strummer and Clash songs. It's also like songs that inspired Joe Strummer through his life. So like okay. there's other things on there. There's Woody Guthrie is on there. Tim Harden's on there. Really good soundtrack. And it's an excellent documentary. But again, that one kind of felt weird being like, you know, a documentary about a musician. Like I uh, felt like cheating. Yeah. So right. I dropped that one out. But then there's movies like uh, The Wall by Pink Floyd. That was another one that I wasn't sure if that would really fit. But obviously, you know, the, the, the movie that goes along with the album, The Wall is. Uh, so. Wait, do I got to ask you that question then? Because so I'm assuming mm -hmm. you've seen it. And it's mm -hmm. is is it a movie that I most definitely need to be on LSD to enjoy or I don't think so, because I watched it in high school uh, and none of me or my friends were like into that, you know, smoking okay. pot or anything. We all watched it stone sober and and uh, a couple of my friends were like obsessed with it. Like they loved it. Um, oh, OK, I think it's excellent. If you like Pink Floyd, it's worth checking out. Because it's it's got a whole bunch of really weird, like you said, like if you're on LSD or something, I imagine that it would be like, 
you know, you'd probably freak out, honestly, because yeah. there's like, right. I don't think you need to be because it almost like the movie itself kind of simulates like you're on drugs or something because there's a bunch of weird, really weird animated sequences and everything. Okay. Uh, it's, it's full of like symbolism and stuff too. So, you know, there's not, there's less a script so much as like a series of almost music videos that kind of tell a story. It's very conceptual. Um, okay. But like one of the, the movies we, we talked about previously, so I didn't cover it, but Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Coen Brothers. That's got a really mm-hmm. great soundtrack. I mentioned scores, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the score by Howard Shore. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Then there's movies like uh, The Matrix had a great soundtrack. Beavis and Butthead to America was very close to making my list. Very, very close. Mallrats has an excellent soundtrack. The Wedding Singer I almost included. Oh, and, that's a good uh, on one. The, on the same, actually, that was your sister's idea. She mentioned that when I was, I almost did it. That was uh, kind of like you, when you were talking about Team America, there's like songs that Adam Sandler wrote just for the movie <laughs> right. that, are, that are hilarious. Like when he's singing about his uh, uh, his ex-fiance and he's like, I hope you fucking choke. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. He's like all drunk and everything. Um, there's a movie called Crossroads starring Ralph Macchio. Oh, who's the girl that's in it? Um, oh, it's uh, Jamie Gertz. Yes, Jamie Gertz. That's one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, I ultimately didn't include it on the list, but not not to be confused with the Britney Spears movie of the same name. This one is excellent. A lot of really good blues guitar and stuff. Now, hold um, on just a fucking minute. <laughs> what are we trying to say about the Britney Spears movie, Crossroads, with Zoe Saldana? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. I would say uh, you you might want to watch that. I haven't seen it. It's not the movie I'm talking about. That's all. Okay. That's all. That's fair. If, That's if fair. you if you rent that movie expecting some super good blues guitar and Ralph Macchio, you're not going to get that. <laughs> That's fair. That's reasonable. A, a potential S tier that I almost included, Snatch. Oh, yeah, that's good. It's really good soundtrack and one of my favorite all-time movies, Guardians of the Galaxy, 8 oh, Mile. And then I've got a, oh, and in general, like I had mentioned uh, The Lion King, but like all the Alan Menken Disney movies. Oh, God, you know? yeah. Like we could have just done a list of those, honestly. Right, like, like that honestly. That could be its I, own list. Yeah, it could be its own episode. Like, yeah, I mean, Disney fucking musicals. love those. And then I had a, a, a short list of movies, like I had mentioned, you know, that had like one monstrous single off it, but I didn't know anything else about the rest of the soundtrack or whether it was even any good. So like right. there's cool runnings has you, which you mentioned earlier when I was talking about Jimmy cliff, speaking of Jimmy cliff and Jamaicans cool runnings has the song. Uh, I can see clearly now, Oh yeah, which is Jimmy cliff. Right. Excellent song. The three musketeers had the, uh, Brian Adams sting and somebody else, the all for one and all for love song. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, it was, I mean, was it? It, was, it was Brian Adams, Sting, and Rod Stewart. Maybe anyway, uh, that was yeah, an excellent, excellent one because I love me some Brian Adams. I don't care what anybody else says. Titanic and the Celine Dion one. A Star Is Born, the latest one with the uh, Shalalalalo song, super good song. Dangerous Minds had the Coolio song, but I looked up the, the soundtrack and wasn't that impressed with the rest of it. No, yeah, I was um, gonna say. There's a movie from way back in the day called Rush that I never saw, but I think that's where the Tears in Heaven song came from, Eric Clapton. I'm not sure if that was like originally on an Eric Clapton album or if that was originally from that soundtrack, but mm, I don't know. that was a great song. 
a very sad song, but a great song. Oh, yeah. And then I also had an uh, an also mentioned to Breakfast at Tiffany's for inspiring the most excellent song by Deep Blue Something in 1995. That's my That's list of also mentions. Okay. I mean, you kind of stole a bunch of mine, <laughs> but I'll, uh, I will say one that I almost considered putting on this list that I couldn't not put it in S tier if I selected it is the 1989 film Batman, which we already kind of talked a little bit about. (laughs) And I mean, honestly, like that's one. And actually in a couple weeks, the episode will come out. So it'll be before this, but uh, I already kind of talked about it in the episode, but basically like the the Prince songs in that movie, it's like, I like Prince. I think that they were like the worst choice to put in that Batman movie because they make it feel so dated and weird at times you know like they'll they just have these entire scenes where it's like they're doing a music video for a prince song you know they're not they're not really in the movie it's like i don't know but (laughs) eight mile is one i was gonna mention i almost put it on my list because i was you know when i first got into rap music way back when and i've since fallen out of love with rap music i really went all in on eight mile and i thought it was great but it's it's also one of those ones that i would say like less than half of what is on that album is stuff that I would like actually enjoy listening to. Um, Out of curiosity, where might you, where might you rank eight mile? Cause I have feelings um, on eight mile. So I would put it like as a, if I were ranking it on this list, I would have probably put it at that D spot, honestly. Okay. So I think you and me are on the same page then. Cause I remember when that movie came out, I was a sophomore in college and it was huge. Like, oh, and yeah. we were like the demographic for that movie, right? A bunch of, right. a bunch of white guys who like all my roommates were like from Novi and, and, uh, they, they grew up like right, right down the street from eight mile, not the same part of eight mile, mind you, but right. like Eminem was the big thing. Uh, so we were like definitely in that demographic. And like, I remember that movie came out and the soundtrack was great and everybody was always listening to that song, but the, the movie itself was so stupid. And I get in arguments There's- with my roommates and friends and so I'd be like, guys, come on. It's not. They're I like, mean, it's so, so bad. serious about their rap battling. And well, stuff. It's, like, it's like, it's like so dumb. It's like, this like what is the actual like the story in that movie is just that Eminem has to do these rap battles but that's kind of secondary because he's trying to get a record deal but it's like the whole thing is just like fucking useless and it's like just walks around with that dumb look on his face the whole time (laughs) right and I mean yeah Uh, it's it's just bad it had its its moments in that movie that was were kind of fun but I just remember like I was like am I really the only guy here that is willing to admit this movie's stupid. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I agree. And um, the other one I was going to mention that it was like the first soundtrack I ever owned, and it is the Space Jam soundtrack. And that was a fucking loaded soundtrack. I loved that soundtrack. What was on that? Well, it had I Believe I Can Fly by R. Kelly, of course. Oh, right. I Believe I Can Fly. Oh, man. Talk about somebody who is like really aged well. Oh, no shit. Yeah, most definitely. And I mean, it had like Seal had a cover of Fly Like an Eagle by Steve Miller Band. And oh, my God, there was like Method Man songs. Like, I mean, just a bunch of random shit. Oh, like uh, what's that one? So, um, that's the way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I like it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was on there. Oh, man, I could get so fucking pumped to that uh. album. 
But wow. yeah, that's I mean that's I mean for scores, I mean, I'm going to pick the Dark Knight trilogy. I'm going to pick a myriad of superhero related things, especially Batman, but I mean, yeah, I think that I think honestly scores would be a separate episode as well. It'd be like yeah. what are good orchestral scores that would really fit. Yeah, I'm not enough into those scores though to probably be able to come up with a good list but that's what i no. thought about I, yeah I, I, I briefly considered it but uh i do have a great uh a story though speaking of the batman score uh, back oh, yeah. in like probably 2007 i uh, mm-hmm. went to a tigers game with a, a friend of mine that i worked with and it was me and a couple other friends he was driving and we were coming back and thank goodness he was sober because because of of what he ended up doing. But at one point we were like driving through 696, I think it is with like all the tunnels that goes through Detroit. Right. Oh, yep. yep. And he turned it on and he had a, like a, an, an Acura something or other. I forget what, but it was like a really fast car. And he put on the Batman theme, like the score, the Danny Elfman score. And he cranked it like super fast and was driving like 120 miles an hour down the highway through these tunnels and everything. Oh, and it was like midnight. And so there wasn't that many cars on the on the road. It's a miracle he didn't get pulled over or anything, but like it was it was awesome. We were it felt like we were in the Batmobile for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> there it was you so are. cool. But yeah, that's that's my little side story of uh the Batman Danny Elfman score. <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah, that's all that's all I got to say about that. This was a fun one because I love talking about music as much as I love talking about movies. And this oh, gave yeah. us a chance Same to do here. both. Yeah, it's definitely a fun one. We'll have to figure out what our uh, next one will be on. Yeah. Till next time. Yeah, right. All right. I guess uh, have a good rest of your day, everybody. Bye now. Brandon at Random Reviews is written, recorded, produced, edited, and engineered by Brandon Griffiths. The theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz and was acquired by way of Fiverr.com.